Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips. So if we start individually, which I know the extroverts are going to hate. Um, so five minutes uh, really thinking about what, what would you have to have to have your personal happy ever after? And it may be that you want to mute or turn your camera off or, or whatever while you think about that. Um, and then we'll go into the, um, into the groups. So I'm going to be here for a minute while I add everyone else and there's some people who can't get in. Okay. Um, and just for the recording, because um, I always forget about that, but if you're listening along afterwards, um, if you also pause it, because I think it's really important that you have your definition before you listen to anyone else's. Um, so the question is, what would happy ever after look like? And, it, and I and the answer is going to be different for each of us. Um, but there probably are going to be some common themes. So who would like to share what they discussed or their vision? I'll go first. I'm the newest one here, I think. Um, so this is going to be a good time to mention. I, I am on the autistic spectrum. So for me... Someone who understands that, who who understands that, I'm, I might say the wrong thing occasionally, and I might not react in the same way, and I might not laugh at your joke because I don't get it, and I might actually have to ask. I'm sorry, are you being sarcastic? Which isn't some. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm genuinely asking, are you being sarcastic? Because I can't tell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just someone who, who who likes a laugh as well. Because I'm a bit I'm a bit silly. I've got a bit of a silly sense of humour. I like a pun. Um, so um, someone who's not too strict about things but like I do have like certain set routines like I go boxing this day that day and that day and like and then like if it gets disrupted I get a bit like out of whack because the way my brain works so someone who's okay with my little sort of like what would the word be I think the word would be um not set in your ways sort of like little um idiosyncrasies someone who's okay yeah. with those but yeah but um mm. I'm pretty easy going in every other respect. So as long as they're all right with me forgetting to take the bins out occasionally and um, talking talking over talking over them when I'm watching telly because I've already seen the film and I know what the, I know what's going to happen. Um, other than that, yeah, I'm pretty much fine as long as I'm not a huge drinker. So and anyone who goes out on on the sesh every other night, no, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm not with that. But, I, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I'm pretty easy going to be honest. Okay, so so you want to be understood, really. Yeah, understood, but also I understand because understand, I've had previous relationships that there's a give and take on both sides. So, uh, you know, as long as they are a bit patient with me, I'll be, I'll be very understanding with them. So, you know, it's, it's 50-50 really, isn't it? Right, thank you for sharing that. Um, anyone else? Yeah, shall I say something or just uh, give others a chance to talk? Errol the hero coming to the rescue again when there's silence. <laughs> Well, I just thought the silence was a bit deafening for me. Um, yeah, okay, so from my point of view, um, I suppose, so with me, it's something I've, I've not really had properly in my relationships. Um, and I don't know why not, but um, it will be a much more closer connection 
Um, so it will be a case of a little bit like what was described just now, but it's, I suppose it's, um, the hepilarator will be where I feel that that person is always on my side. Doesn't matter, I'm not expecting that person to agree with me all the time because that, that will be unrealistic. But I expect them to be honest and they ex I expect them to be, have my best endeavors in, at heart. So basically when they say something to me, it's because they're thinking the best of me. So if they say, I don't think you're right about that, that's gonna go wrong. They're actually trying to prevent me from making a mistake. I may not agree with it, but also to um, to agree uh, to, to be able to talk agree on things rather than it deteriorating into some sort of um, really, I don't I don't like rows. I don't mind arguments. It can even be heated argument for all I care, but not a row. Row just. I don't know why, but it really has a very negative effect for me. I like to just be able to talk to people, discuss things. Um, so for me, it's a case of saying, you know, uh, working together through life's ups and downs, that I accept that there will be issues and problems. Um, but so long as I feel that that person is always on my side, that for me creates a trust, a bond. And that for me is the one of the most important things in a relationship that I know that I can trust them with whatever happens. And if I'm down, you know, even if they told me this isn't gonna work, whatever, and I don't listen to her and I get on with it and it all blows up in my face, just the way she said it was going to be, what she then does is rolls up the sleeves and gets mucks in and helps me, you know, sort it out. Because what that does next time round is for me to say, I was, I was an idiot. I should have sat there and listened. I didn't see what was coming for some reason. And, you know, I've got to pay, have to pay more attention next time. Um, in my previous relationships, it's not been like that. I mean, I've had to make the decisions uh, because there was a lot of dithering going on. And then when it did blow up in my face, um, the other person just stood on the sidelines and told me, I told you so. And, you know, I don't, I don't particularly need that at that point. I just need someone to help me out. Even, even if it was deserved, I would suggest that everyone makes a mistake. And therefore, if you are meant to be partners in life, because for me, um, I mean, and last week we were talking about the fact that we had a lot of independent people and, they, and some of the women were very independent, rightly so. And they were quite openly saying, look, you know, we don't actually need a man as such to buy me things or do this or do that because they're independent, they can manage their own life. But actually, we all need somebody. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So we need somebody to share our life with. It's a journey, and we want to share the journey with someone. That means that someone is there to help you when you fall down and help you along. You know, and when they fall down, you are there to help them. Yeah, so for me, therefore, the happy level after isn't necessarily everything is going to be peachy, but that we can work through the rough times together without it getting becoming a negative event that we actually get through it and we go you know what the bond is stronger because we helped each other out we got through it yeah okay we might have got a little bit stressed at times but the point is you know we we worked through it like two adults we discussed our issues and problems we agreed our way forward and um you know we are stronger as a result
that's kind of where I am at anyway. I don't know if that makes everybody confused now as to what on earth is he talking about. No, I think to, to me it seems quite clear. Um, and I like what the Gottman say is, is that basically a couple really good marriages or relationships are based on, um, what is it, like, baby, when you hurt, the whole world stops. So the focus of each other is to, like, if one's, if one's down and one's um, having a hard time or, or you know, whatever, um, the other one's there for them, and it is that teamwork partnership. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, has anyone else, or if anyone doesn't want to actually talk or that, but they can put it in chat. Uh, Laura, did you want to talk? Yeah, you're still muted. Still muted. Me on mute. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry if you've heard this before in my group, but for me, that happy ever after. I guess the focus was on that word happy, having been in quite an unhappy relationship. And it was like, I want to feel happy in my relationship. And I want to know that the other person feels happy in the relationship too. Um, we, we laugh together. We share love at a kind of emotional level, physical level, mental level. There's that maybe a spiritual connection to its connection it's meaningful and it is um, mutually supportive and nurturing um, from this group I've also learned learning has taken place that having skills you know those skills of communication problem solving what can we bring to a problem that's arising in our relationship how we're going to deal with it so that it doesn't destroy our relationship would be really important as well so that we can work together to support each other through problems um, and deal with the problems that arises from our dynamic in the relationship. Yeah, so, so when I listen to that, what I'm hearing is, is it's about fundamentally you being happy. Um, and also the other partner being happy. Um, and then it's about when you look at being happy is like riding a wave is the, is the metaphor that comes to mind. And it's about when the seas are uh, choppy and that, how do you navigate? How do you balance um, and stay on, on top of that so that you, you don't allow like the waves of life and um, rough seas to come between you? <clears throat> which I think is basically the, the, the struggle that most relationships have is when times get tough, uh, everything that they had was built on this fragile um, uh, relation, this fragile tie that um, when other things could come between and tear them apart. Is that? Yeah. 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 I, I, I can kind of relate to that. I think, I think that's, yeah, I like the metaphor of the sea, calm waters, stormy waters, riding the wave, but also like navigating the sea is about the skills of, you know, sailing your boat, what you do, you, you yeah. know, dealing with the wind, etc. So it's not just like 
going with it I guess you've got to try and proactively develop together the skills to deal with the rough you know stormy weather okay can I just add can I just add um, for me it's important to have mental stimulation and a, a part of that is to be with somebody who, yes, you have shared and common interests, but having different interests as well, so that we're not carbon copies of each other. We bring new and interesting um, ideas or experiences into the relationship, and that, I, that will keep me interested. So that will keep me happy. That will keep me um, also, uh, being possessive, needy, living in each other's back pockets, not me. I don't have to see you every day. I don't have to see you, you know, uh, all the time. Um, respect for each other, which, which I think um, ties in with the trust that Errol mentioned. And I think if um, it's, it's, it also involves not taking the other party for granted. So tying all of that into what everybody else has said, it's caring, being respectful, trusting, um, and uh, being open with each other. But at the same time, just trying to maintain a, a level of, of, of curiosity about the world and your part in it and, um, and your partner. In other words, not going into retirement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, that tends to be um, where I've heard it most is a complaint from um, women about men as they get older, um, in general, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so really what you're looking for is, um, I don't want to say entertain, but someone who stimulates um, and keeps things alive. Also, mm. I think it's important to know what you're looking for. Um, to be clear about what it is. Sometimes we can talk about these things in abstract fashion, but if someone said, well, okay, so what, what kind of a character will this person have? What kind of character traits will they really have? I mean, how will you recognize this person? And sometimes it's, I mean, I, I say that from my own experience as well. I mean, when I first went into my marriage, um, I have to say, I, I, I didn't really know I mean, I knew that, okay, yes, I, you know, someone to get along and trustworthy and all that, all the rest of it. But I didn't really know how to identify or recognize such a person, not, not consciously anyway. Um, and also, I think I suffered from naivety where there were problems that I could see. I was maybe obnoxious enough, not just naive, that I thought, yeah, in time, we can sort that out or I can help out with that. That's a problem that, that, you know, 
um, it's a problem and I, I can I can do that. I, I can get along with anybody. And it's, it's not me being big-headed. Yes, I can get along with anybody, but it doesn't. it's not the same as living with people. You know, um, when you're living with somebody, that's different to having to get along with them. I mean, you get along with your friends and your colleagues, but that's very different to being in a relationship. Um, so sometimes it's important, I think, to kind of understand what you're looking for and perhaps your own limitations as well. At least that's, that's the problem I had. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good point in, in that my, my story is exactly the same. Um, and um, so I was wondering, um, so we've got a couple of questions. Who, um, who um, in previous relationships, um, who knew what they were looking for accurately? If you've, if you've had a long-term relationship, I think we're probably in about sort of two age groups. Um, there's my kind of age group and then there's um, some that are a little bit younger. Um, and so I think a lot of us are, have had one, one long relationship um, and, and maybe some are younger that haven't yet had maybe as long. Um, so... Yeah, that's something to think about. Alan, I just noticed your hand up. Where are you? Um, yeah, I was just um, just in relation to you saying who knew exactly what they were, were looking for. Yeah, I did at the time. But it, it isn't what I'm looking for anymore. Um, I wanted the fairy tale, as it were. I wanted the, um, you know, that pure love. love. Um, that respect, everything that, all of the positive aspects that people have mentioned so far today. Um, and I believed in it, but I don't believe that anymore. Um, I just, I just, just don't. Um, I would like to, but I just don't, I don't, I don't think there's a perfect person. I don't think there's an absolute soulmate out there. Um, I think it's difficult to meet people and give people to give you the chance now anyway. And if you don't, meet with whatever expectation the media or Instagram or whatever else puts in front of that, puts in front of that person, then you're kind of already doomed. Um, you know, I've touched on it in previous occasions where we all project an illusion about ourselves and sometimes relationships um, go down and fizzle out because the illusion fades from, from what happens at the beginning. Um, but, I think now it's even difficult to to get through that illusion period because people, it's like fast food. You know, I want what I want now. And when I get it, I finish it and I'll throw it away and I'll get I'll get something else. Um, that just seems to be the, the nature of things. There doesn't seem to be any interest in, in longevity and actually getting to, to know somebody. Um, and and that, that goes across, you know, all aspects, you know, sex, love, passion, um, everything just seems to be so quick. Um, and it's like, you know, it's like the likes of Tinder where someone can judge you with this swipe of a finger. I mean, that's just like ridiculous. Um, but that's what people do. 
Um, I, so I just don't have any belief in that anymore. Um, I, and that's why I personally am kind of going down the route of, right, okay, well, I'm going to get myself sorted so I don't have to be relying on anybody else. And then if somebody comes along, well, good, but I won't have to rely on them to, to be content. I won't have to, you know, be in a position where I could get seriously hurt because they leave me or they have an affair or they die or, or whatever else it happens, whatever reason it is that they leave my life. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think... Um... I think it's like if we look, we have an obesity crisis and we have um, uh, a debt crisis. Um, and I think it's, it's for the same reasons that, that Alan's mentioned that there is this in need for instant gratification. Um, yet, even in those, even in like, even though like McDonald's and Burger King and, and whatever um thrive um and the mainstream does tend to go like that there are still people that are um you know have a lot of dedication to their fitness to the how they use there are still people and in the same way and i, I think that's a um, really valuable insight that there's this need for instant gratification which is affecting relationships but yet everyone um they soon you soon get fed up with the instant gratification um and there is a point where people reach a level of obesity there's a point where people reach a level of um debt where they have to take control of things um and so there are all there still are always people that are um have the ability to delay gratification um so i i said that and there was something else that you said that i wanted to to pick up on is it about um not um, giving people giving you the chance yeah yeah um yeah i i, I think um i think what your what your um what's happening is where people are dropping out earlier or, or whatever is that they're showing to you that there's someone that is, isn't going to make it in the long haul anyway so you're probably just learning earlier um i think it, i yeah i think i mean every relationship ends and it either ends in death or it ends in a breakup um so it the the, the core thing always has to be yourself and has to be you have to of course know that whatever happens um you can always be happy and you can always find someone to be happy with that's just a a, a matter of mm. skills so when you know that when you know that you can just go out and you can always find someone who is and i don't, don't mean just like you're just picking someone but someone who has the qualities um then there's a a level of more security and less anxiety about it and you can let people go mm. if that makes sense but i think you need to have that you need to have that foundation where you feel like your happiness doesn't depend on anyone else um 
and it's knowing that you have the skills and the ability and, and you can cope. So it's like, um, it's like pretty much every single relationship I've had. You know, it hasn't been like truly amazing when you first go on your first date or you first meet them. And, and sometimes you think, you know, I'm not sure whether they are for me or they're not for me. And you go on a couple of dates and, and see how it goes. Um, and you can even not know them for, you know, sort of get to know them for a couple of months. And then you go, you know what, actually, the thing that I thought was a little bit annoying about this person in the beginning is actually re really redeeming quality. And it's only those 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 things can be revealed sometimes in time. And, and that works the other way around. But I just don't think that the majority of people through personal experience, and I've got a lot, a lot of friends who um, have split up and are single and stuff like that. And they're all seem to, you know, no one's influencing anyone else. It's all like the same story, but it's somebody else um, telling it. And, you know, I've got, I've got a sister uh, who's younger than me. She's quite attractive. And she's in the same same boat. So it's not just men, it, it's, it's women as well. I've got a cousin, again, she's really, really pretty. And she's having this, the same thing of, of actually meeting someone who's, who's um, dare to say, decent. Yeah. It just needs to be an ongoing theme. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it is. And that is, it's, it's that, that is the problem of why um, is it, is the, that's the re it's because people don't know like that people are in a relationship and then things go wrong and they don't know how to change it. They don't know how to fix problems. So they, so they think that the, and, and what's happening is this has always been a dynamic that um, people it's why I say that the fairy tale underlies everything because people go into a relationship and they have certain expectations that someone's always going to love them. Someone's always going to be there for them. Um, and the reality is that they're not. The reality is that there's going to be, you know, people expect unconditional love, but the reality is if you think of everyone in anyone and everyone in your life, there is a time like a moment, just a moment where you hate them. There's a moment where you're angry with them. And it doesn't mean that you don't love them generally, but it means in that moment, um, you, you have anger, you have hate or, or whatever, or bitter towards them. And so people read that. And sometimes it's more than a moment. I'm not sure if I've just dropped out. Can you hear me? No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. um, so in that, so, that when we have a problem in a relationship and when we don't do um, what Errol was talking about, we're not there when we're not there and we're not supportive. And sometimes we're not just because we're stressed and we're busy. And when we're not there, that person feels unloved because that person feels unloved. They, they lose that connection to you. When you, when we feel unloved, when we feel low, what we do is we then get angry. We like, someone else we look for who's to blame then we blame our partner we get bitter and so we think oh they they don't um they don't love us um maybe they're not the one um and that's when people look outside and the real reason 
is that they, if you imagine like there's a line below um, despair um, and there's a line when we drop below it, we feel angry, we feel bitter. And it often has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with, you know, like when you're, when you're tired and you're stressed, you're going to look and at people and you're, someone in the traffic, you're going to be really angry with like, girl, they, they cut in. Oh, what an idiot. But when you're feeling happy and you're relaxed and you're calm, um, the same thing can happen. And you just, your understanding of them. Oh, okay. They, they're, they're, they're in a rush and you let it go. So does that make sense? Mm. But Rob, one yeah. of the things that I think we tend not to focus on is uh, we are thinking what I'm looking for in the person that I want to love me. And, you know, I want to be loved. I want this person to be this and that. And I want this person to do this for me and be that to me. But have we ever sat down and taken an audit of ourselves what is it that i am going to be able to give to that person what do i bring into this thing what what will they love about me what am i doing for them just like how i'm looking for these things in them what what is it that i am going to be giving to that person what will they get from me and i think we really it's part of I suppose how we we um, we grow up in society where we look for the you know the partner the ideal partner, not focusing on how can I be the best partner that I can be to whoever it happens to be that I end up with, and so we have not learned how to actually assess ourselves, and sometimes we are afraid of it, um, and I think we need to get over that fear, but. Also, that I think is part of growing up. When you're 26 or when you're 20, you know, I don't think you have the skills or the experience to even articulate what some of these attributes are that, you, that really um, are important and you're evolving. After a while, yes, you start to look at those things that are, are part of you, but also those things that you cannot abide, <laughs> if you know what I mean, the other things that are very important to you, like honesty, and, and it, it's, it's just not cemented in you when you are very young. It's part of growing up, but I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's, that's um, a really key, key point. Um, and it's, it's the reason why it's so important to understand yourself because when you understand yourself, the next level is that you understand someone else. Um, and the biggest secret to relationships is really there. What Sandra said is we're all about, we get people go dating with a checklist and it's all about, yeah, I want this, I want this, I, I want this in a relationship. And people think, okay, what do I have to do to get this? But the other person is doing exactly the same thing. Um, and there's something um, in psychology called the fundamental attribution error. And a fundamental attribution error is we, we have all these cognitive biases. So when we look at the world, we never see the world really as it is we never see people as they are 
because we have these biases and one of the most fundamental is this fundamental attribution error and the the, the way i was taught it is um when we look at someone it's like if we both fall over it was like you fell i was pushed so it's that if we if you do something it's because you're an idiot if i do it it's because some idiot left the step there for me to fall over so we and also when we look at other people um when someone screws up we judge them by their behavior by the action by the result that we we got and when we do the same thing we judge ourselves by our, by our intention so we go oh yeah i did it but uh, you know my intended to do this but we don't give the other person that benefit of the doubt so yeah that that if if the, i think if there's one key and i always say if there's one key but if you can understand that other people are exactly like you, they have the same fears, they do things for the same reasons as you, um, but it's always easier to see it in someone else. And so if you understand they're looking for exactly the same as you, they have the same fears, the same anxieties, the same stress, the same um, whatever in, in their own way. And so it's just understanding why did they really do it? And when I talk about narrative, like the key to relationships is narrative is the biggest narrative that comes between people is when we ascribe some um, intention to their behavior that has nothing to do with it. So the classic one is when we have an argument, it's because um, it's because they don't love you it's not because they they just didn't think about it or or whatever it, but when we say oh that means that they didn't love us and and it's that kind of belief that makes people not really give everything to a relationship and to drop out um quicker yeah i um sorry if, I, if it's okay if i speak yes nice um, it's really interesting to hear how this conversation has evolved from obviously, you know, all the way to basically saying that it's actually about who we are as people. I mean, it's interesting that Sandra actually says that, like, I actually am 26. <laughs> and I feel like it's really... <laughs> um, it's definitely the case where I can understand what Alan is saying because it is a case where the majority of people, when you look on the outside, it's easy to have a bleak view of the state of relationships or the state of anything. But I think what most of life comes down to is who you actually are within yourself. I think that we can always look at the outside world and say, oh, this isn't a great picture. That doesn't look great. But I think that the way I see life is that if it's, to be then it's up to me. And I think that when it comes to relationships, it really is fundamentally down to who you are. I think that many people go into relationships, not actually, as you said, Rob, and as actually many people have said on this call, 
not really having any clue who they actually are, what makes them tick, not having any sense of self-awareness, not actually having the patience with themselves and therefore the patience with others. And I think that they, like when my younger life, even though I know you're like, oh, you're 26, yeah. But like when I was younger than 26, um, I was looking for a relationship as the antidote to pretty much everything, like loneliness, um, even just like something to go out with, just entertainment, absolutely everything. And it wasn't until I went on further when I realized that, to be honest with you, the most important thing is who I am and that if I want somebody who is who I perceive to be somebody who's a great life partner, I've also got to be that person, not only for them, but also for myself. And then I think that when you have that vision for your own life, you can look and look at other people and see if they have a similar vision for themselves and then maybe your visions together will marry up. But in regards to like the happy ever after, I agree with Al and what he said on the chat is that I do feel like happiness is temporary. I think for me, I'm striving for an inner peace, which comes from a presence. Um, and I think that going back into what you said, Rob, is that you don't actually need anybody else to make you happy, that I believe we're all born with everything that we need in this life to get us through what we need to get through. And having us someone along for the journey is is a bonus in many respects, but I don't, I think it's great. So I don't think you should expect anything in life. I think that nothing in life is guaranteed, but um, happiness for me is only temporary. I think joy is more permanent. So maybe it's like happy joy ever after. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm just looking if I've got my book about. Uh, um, so I wrote a book on happiness. Um, so um, I've actually, I actually wrote down, I was going to come back to Alan's um, thing in the chat because the, the, the key thing in anything like this is defining terms. Um, and because there are lots of definitions of happiness. And so, so um, the basic one I looked at is this, the Greeks had two, two views of happiness um, of hedonic happiness which is just a pleasure in a moment and uh it was aristotle who had eudaimonic happiness and eudaimonic happiness is more a sense of being um of becoming something so hedonic is about here and now eudaimonic is that you may delay gratification and be less happy now but for the greater um gratification so um that's the perfect segue thank you alicia um if we can go into breakout groups and work out um so if we go into free groups um and I think, sorry rob i think uh, shasha wants to say something oh yes yeah, sorry yes Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I, I thought you were unmuting by, by mistake. Sasha, if you can hear us. Um, so if we go out in the same breakout rooms, um, mm -hmm. and so th this time your definition is what is happiness to you? And uh, when, when we're back, if you, if you did speak to Sasha, um, we'll start off with 
with her point. Was that kind of uh, different to the fairy tale then, Rob? Okay, so so the um, happy ever after kind of relates to um, what like your relationship, the idea of being in a relationship with some happiness is what has to happen in your life for you to feel it was meaningful. Well, okay, that that's my definition. Um, so, what, what is happiness? What is happiness to you? So, we'll get to that first. Um, because for and, me, it kind of comes back to the same thing. That's my point. Yeah. But I see what you mean. Okay, yeah. but no, happiness, happiness individual, individual happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry? It can be happiness without a relationship, sure, of course. Yes, yes. So, so the priority is like first happiness, then happy ever after. Yeah. Right, everyone's back. Ready? We're, we're going to start off with uh, Sasha. Um, wasn't able to make her point before. Um, I just wanted to add, you know, when you were saying about unconditional love not being, what, what was it exactly you said? Um, so, okay, so, so uh, basically, I think it's summed up in a quote. Um, Mignon McLachlan said, nobody's ever been loved in the way that everyone wants to be loved. Right. Okay. But I think, like, from my mother's perspective, in terms of unconditional love, I think even at them times where we're not present or we're, you know, going through a stressful situation, I don't think that takes away from our unconditional love towards other people. Because unconditional love for me is saying, you, I don't love you unless you're X, Y, or Z. That would be unconditional love to me. Does that make sense? So I do it think does. unconditional love does exist in relationships. Um regardless of how we are with people it doesn't mean that it's unconditional love to me means that you don't love that person unless they're something that you expect them to be but if they um, fall short if they fall short of that you still love them that's unconditional love okay um so the the point so yeah so so this is a common like the 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 concept of unconditional love is a common concept and people think it, it, it's expected. But if someone, if you're in a relationship with someone and they cheat and they lie, they spend all your money, um, they're physically abusive, do you still love them? Um, I don't know because I am literally saying it from a mother's point of view and loving a child. I, th I think the child parent is the closest um, we get to unconditional love. I mean, can you think of an instance that would affect your love for your children? Difficult times, for sure. Like if they were tr if they were behaving in a certain way. But it doesn't, it's not going to take away from my love. It's not going to make me love them less. It's not going to stop my love for them. So what I but, mean but is in the context, some... in context, in, in the context of a relationship, if you were being treated like that, you don't have to be in that relationship. Does that make sense? So I, it, I hear, it, I hear it, your point about um, about not necessarily being loved the way that we want to be loved, but with the example that you gave of like if somebody's. Um, 
short with you or whatever because they're going through a difficult time I think that's just for us to be understanding of that it's not necessarily because there's not because there's a lack of unconditional love there yeah um yes I you see that the concept of unconditional love becomes damaging when someone believes they have to love their partner, whatever they do. There's a point where you could hate the unconditional action. love, hate the action, or, oh, hate the action, or it doesn't take away from sort of loving guidance. I think you have to love someone has to be worthy of your love in a relationship because what I've seen otherwise is people stay in abusive relationships and they say, but I love them. Um, and no, they, I, like, think, I think, you know, abusive, abusive relationships would be a different ball game, but in terms of a reasonably healthy relationship, I think that unconditional love can exist personally. Um, Okay, so the concept of unconditional love is that you're with someone, you're going to love them forever. And what I'm saying is, is first of all, um, the, the, that um, concept is very difficult because, um, as Alan was saying, very few of us live up to have the capacity and the ability to love unconditionally. Um, we when when there's so so that type of love is called agapic um in the group because the greeks had seven different types of love and agapic that unconditional love um people have tried to do research on it and they had to abandon it because they found instances where people had agapic love but they couldn't find any examples of people who could live in that way yeah, but I'm, um, yeah, I kind of, I see where you, what, what you mean with that, but I just, I just think that um, you could, it doesn't, so say in, in an abusive context, they could still unconditionally love the person, but it doesn't mean that they have to stay, they can walk away from that relationship so not to be treated in that way out of self-respect and self-unconditional love and still love that other person. I, what, what I'm, I'm, I agree with you. And still, and still want good, and still want good. And sorry, there's, the there's some, there's like a rapper or something that's. And and sorry, and still, and still want good and want what's best for the other person. I see that as unconditional love, even if you're in a relationship with them or not. Um. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I agree that. I, I think we have to love people to the capacity that they allow. So what I mean by that is we can love people even if they do things that are unlovable. So we accept who they are, but I think there is also a nuance that we have to, um, at some point, we have to love someone in a relationship to the degree that they're able to be um loving as well because yeah i mean if somebody's constantly difficult in a relationship and constantly not showing um a level of care and respect and, and just good treatment to the other person it's going to be very difficult to have a meaningful relationship with them but in terms of unconditional love 
I, I see that as wanting the best for the other person, no matter what. Even yeah. if that means that you're not with that person or whoever's not with that person, I think that I do personally, obviously this is some research philosophical, you know, something that you're talking about of this un unconditional love concept. But personally, I think that it can exist. I, I agree. May, maybe not Maybe not in the context of people believing being loved a certain way that they expect to be loved might not be necessarily unconditional love in the other context. Yeah, in, in, in that sense, I think the quote speaks to the fact that we're always going to be disappointed. We're never going to get the complete love and adulation and devotion that so we the, the sort of perfect the perfection of never being said a wrong word to etc um yeah basically. that doesn't exist yeah um and i i agree with your point i think we should strive to love unconditionally but i don't think we should choose our relationships because the, the bit that people misunderstand is they say, I'm in this relationship. When you're in a relationship with someone, you have to love them unconditionally. Therefore, I will accept this behavior. That's yeah, intolerable. But, yeah, that's not, that's not my idea of unconditional love because you've got to have a certain level of self-respect and self-love. And to love yourself is not to let yourself go through something like that. Yeah. In my so, opinion. so, 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 um, in terms of unconditional love, you, you love them unconditionally um, and then let them go at the point where the relationship doesn't work? Yeah, but I don't think that takes away from the unconditional love. I think people get skewed ideas of like this toxic love, this codependent type of love. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's why I... What you, um, meant, what you meant in the book, what you meant when you said that it doesn't really exist. Um, no, I, I think it doesn't exist in most relationships because I don't, I think people go in and this is going relating to what Sandra was talking about, about understanding the other person and caring for them in the way that you want to be cared for. Um, I think that doesn't exist, which is, um, I think it can be, I think it can be um, applied to the relationship maybe not 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 in in a perfect sense without follow but it can definitely be worked on and applied to and strengthened and yeah i i built on and all the rest of it yeah i th i th i think um when we talk about what everyone's view of happiness is i think it will lead to a deepening of this conversation I just, yeah, I just wanted to add that because personally I do, maybe everyone's idea of unconditional is slightly different, but personally I believe that being funny with somebody isn't a sign of that they're not being loving. Yeah. It's just no. that they've got the wrong stress. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I think, I, I agree with that point. I think that there is a limitation to what we're capable of, that we are ideas on our aspirations to unconditionally love, um, write checks that we don't live up to. And um, I think there's a danger in that when people take that literally um, and don't um, let themselves, let themselves be, um, become a victim to something, to an idea. Okay, yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. 
So if, if they perceive they're not being loved because a person's acting a certain way, they feel like they're not being loved. Um, yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, and also they expect, they expect something that they're not living up to, as Sandra said. Um, just before we get into the, to the, um, happiness, um, Alan's talked about if attached, if unattached, not, you mean by attached to, um, the person, like when you're unattached, you can, um, Sasha, I, I'm going to mute you because there's some background noise, but yeah, sure. Sorry, unmute I was just yourself. A... yeah, unmute yourself if, if you want to join in, um, Alan, um, is that question clear? Did I finish it? No, sorry, I couldn't hear you there, sorry. Okay, um, so you've asked, you, you, you said if attached, yes, but if, if unattached, no. I may have seen that out of context, but do you mean that you can love someone unconditionally if you're not attached to an outcome with them? Um, how would I kind of phrase it? Um, not necessarily to attach to an outcome, but more have an emotional attachment, which is intrinsic to yourself. So i.e. this person has done X, Y, and Z. I, I love this person, but they've cheated on me, for example. But because I have atta I'm attached to them, I have to stay with them because my emotions are entwined into this. So... You can basically do what, it, let's take domestic violence. You see people getting all sorts of things done and they still stay with the partner. And that's an attachment type love, isn't it? Where they they would be, they're, they're so entwined within that other person that they're in love with, in inverted commas, that if they are to then break free of that relationship, it would leave them feeling emotionally empty and because of that emptiness, they would feel that they would have to return to that relationship. And that's what I mean by unattached, sorry, by attached, it being like a, a, a negative type of love. Whereas you can be unattached, you can, you can have the same amount of love for that person. And that's why I mentioned about liking someone, but not loving someone, but not necessarily liking them. So you can then go, yeah, okay, I, I still feel the same way about you from a love point of view but you know what you've done this that and the other and because of that i'm gonna break free of you and uh, i'm gonna move on with my life i think that's kind of from a, a simplistic point of view yes so, so basically you see it's when you see them as you're by attached you mean you see them as the gateway to your happiness yes yeah um, so even though they've done these horrible things I still have to be with this person because if I don't, I'm going to be even more miserable than I am now, even though you've got an affair. Yeah. I, I, I've been in groups and, and we've had groups on domestic violence and they talk about, um, like they're watching the clock and, and saying, like, you know, I've said I'm out of bingo, but I, um, I've got to be back by nine, otherwise I'll get the third degree. And yet in the same breath, next breath, they'll talk about, um, well, yeah, but, you know, it's hard out and then dating, dating sites and um, I don't want to be alone. And yeah, sometimes it is just the thought that they feel that they have to um, 
be in that relationship otherwise they're going to be more unhappy yeah so it's not even just a fear of the partner it's a fear of themselves being alone and yeah. that's why i'm saying it's so important to have a good relationship with yourself so you don't have to be in that position yeah um okay so that leads us to um the discussion in the rooms on happiness so what were people's definition like how do you define happiness for me it's uh, doing things i enjoy doing rather than expecting happiness to go from some to come from someone um so happiness is the side effect yeah um and what is that feeling that you're talking about is it a feeling or a state or I think it's a state. Um, so, so there's, there's, there's the eudaimonic, which is more of be, who you're becoming, and then the hedonic. So, so I think happiness, there is a level of, we talk about happiness as being, and we talk about it so much that it loses its meaning, but we talk about it as being a feeling um, and then as a general, as a general thing. So, so you're, you're talking, and I'd agree that it, it's more of a side effect of, of how we're living. Is that? Yeah. 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 Um, has anyone got, a... we, were just, we were discussing in our group, um, and, Pete and Maddie, I think, have had some interesting ideas um, in particular, but um, separating happiness coming from doing particular things, which are transient in a sense. Um, it's then and there and you derive happiness, but that, that doesn't mean that you are essentially, your essence is actually happy. And that's what I, that's the discussion that we were having. I don't think we arrived at a, um, at a definition, but to say that the core of you being being described as being happy versus deriving happiness through and activities that you enjoy. Um, Venkat was talking about um, being giving service to others. He derives great pleasure from that. And we were using that to, to look at um, that being an essential part of your being. Um, and so that is, that's you, that's long-term. So that's a different, um, that's different in the sense that that contributes to your essence, yourself, your sense of who you are, and that's your happiness versus, you know, oh yes, I read this book and that made me happy, you, you know, that's, yes. that's, that's an activity that's a, that gives you a transient thing. Um, sense of well-being yeah yeah i i I've, um there was so when i when i was studying psychology was the time when positive psychology was um coming out and it was um maheli chick center mahali uh wrote a book called flow and the he talked about the flow state being this perfect state where you lose yourself so a musician playing music, uh, uh, an athlete in the performance, it's that where you just l lose yourself. 
um, Sierra Errol. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's that state of it being a side effect of, of a, a peak moment. Um, and then there's um, uh, Marty Seligman at the same time wrote Authentic Happiness, um, which was, was talking about um, that state of, of sort of self-actualization of being yourself um, and happiness coming from, from that, as I remember. Um, so if, if happiness is a side effect of, of who you're being, what is love? Is it worth going into breakout rooms to discuss that question? I don't think so. <laughs> that mean you're going to answer it, Sandra? No, but I, th I, th I think uh, it would be very rich if we heard each other. Because <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> uh, Rob, can I add something about... Um, Happiness. Um, I think. Oh, Rob's disappeared. Has he disappeared? Yes. He's frozen. I think I love you one moment. Can you hear? Okay. Well, anyway, um, I, I would just want to say that um, congruence, finding, which is kind of what you were saying about flow, it, it, it's sort of con congruence. I, I, and by that I mean when your inner self. Um, is is being seen is being is, is matched with the ex, with the external with, with what's happening around with around you. So, if for example, um, I was supply teaching for a long while many years ago, and I was very unhappy and I couldn't find happiness, and therefore there was a sense of incongruence because I couldn't find. I guess the inner peace or the value or whatever. I didn't, there was something in me that wasn't being matched outside with what I had to do with what my job involved. So I think when I left teaching, I was able to find another job in another environment, another situation. I found congruence that somehow that's my external world matched my inner, my inner sense. And that goes with yeah. determining who you are. And when your world matches, um, you know, your inner, your inner sort of sense of who you are, then you have congruence. That makes sense? Yeah. It does. Yeah. It's, it says authenticity. It's yeah. like well, the social self matches with the inner self. Oh. There's no but gap between. It's not easy to find. I mean, it takes a while. It's, it, you know, depending on what your baseline is in life, um, I think it's quite, it's, it's hard to find that. And I think it's a learning, I think it's a learning journey. I don't think you ever find, you know, you'll never, you know, I think you're continually finding what your authentic self is because we're always, we're being thrown in a, you know, a continual sense of flux and change because of the world that we live in. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I, I think that is a, a, a something critical. There was something I was looking in my book, and it was there was like a story of like I'll be happy when um, we convince ourselves that life will be better after we get married, have a baby, then another. Then we're frustrated that the kids aren't old enough, and it's basically this isn't for me, but it's just a story that was in there. Um, it's like a, a poem of that where illustrating that we're always waiting for something to happen before we're happy. Um, and um, the pursuit of happiness in itself can lead to unhappiness. And happiness is the side effect of being ourselves. There is like a blueprint that we have to be in order to be happy. Um, um, and when we have that congruence, I think that's where we um, have that happiness. Um, and I think we're about to get some words of wisdom from the Skiri. Yeah, all I was going to say is, is, let's imagine you've got a baby and you treat that baby in a nurturing way. You feed it, you clean it. Um, to use the word love, you love that baby. If you do all of those things, then you will be classed as a good mother, mother or, good, or a good father. If you did the opposite, if you neglected that child, if you didn't feed it, if you didn't give it love, if you didn't give it attention, then you'd be classed as a bad or evil parent. So in terms of your question before about what is love, well, love is simply good. At its basic form, love is good. If we've got a person who loves us, then that person is good to us. There will be aspects of bad or evil, which is basically what anything which is negative is evil. But good is love. If someone truly loves us, like if we are lucky to have a parent that loves us or a partner that loves us or a child that loves us, then the predominant or overriding uh, emotion from that person would be good in true love. Um, so, so there's just one point I want to ask a question on. So when the parent is bad, when the partner is bad, why do you think that is? What, what is driving that behaviour? You mean when the, when the, like mainly bad, for example, like in a case of neglect or something like that, like that you mean? Yeah, or, or in a partner that is cheats and um, isn't, is, is like just can't live up to being a, a, a good partner. I, I would say being self-centered. So if you're self-centered, you make yourself the, the center of your world. So it's your needs that come first. You are the thing that drives you. You are your own purpose. So if you're not self-centered, then that baby in the, the example I'm giving is, is the purpose. So you'll be tired you get up to feed the baby because you have the the empathy and the sympathy um that is there that you know that that baby is going to be hungry it's going to be crying it's going to be in pain you don't want it to be in pain because you derive your happiness from the fact that that baby is happy because of love but if you are evil or bad then what's denoting your happiness is, is literally your happiness 
So if anything that doesn't suit you, doesn't suit you. So it's that self-centeredness that I don't really care. It's If it doesn't suit me, then so what? And I think that's the driving force behind it. So, so then I want to go another level deeper of, of what drives selfish behaviour. Um, sometimes trauma, because when we've got um, a deti- when we have a, when we have specific traumas in life, um, what that can do is, is it can make us go inward, and when we go inward, we are looking towards ourselves. We are looking inside of ourselves, and that can lead to detachment. And when we're detached, we have a, a we are have a, have a decreased level of awareness of the life or the world or people or feelings or things around us. So it's that detachment which will make us draw away from from love. So um, what I'm kind of driving at is I my my belief is that there is love there is happiness and then what stops that is fear and so like from a trauma i think what a trauma does is it shapes your version of reality so that you're afraid that that trauma might happen i think that fear drives a sense of scarcity that you feel you have to get whatever it is before you can make someone else happy um would that is, is that what you're, um, like what, what you're talking about in terms of um, driving the selfishness or do you think there is something else? Um, I, think, I, think someone who's, I think someone who is ultimately self-centered is living life from a fear-based perspective. They're probably, I'm yet to meet anyone who's self-centered that doesn't have huge levels of anxiety to go along with it in one form or another. So anxiety is a a fear-based state. But again, fear, negativity is all all evil. It's all the exact opposite of of, of what love is, if if love is being determined as good. So yeah, I do agree with you. Hmm. Yes, so, and and, and why I brought love up in, in connection with happiness is that for me, love is happiness with what you see when you focus on something and you're ha- feeling happy with what you see, you feel love and happiness is being in love with whatever you're focusing on. So for me, they're, they're the two versions. They're the same thing with two different faces. If that makes sense. Yeah. One, one influences the other. Yeah, or, or basically just different, if you look a different, slightly different slant of looking at something, um, and you might call it love or you might call it happiness. But as, as Alan said, I think what stops us is we have so much fear that we, when you look at people, people are so constrained by like, just instead of going out and doing what they want to do, we're all like second guessing ourselves. Are we good enough? Can we do it? When you look at relationships, there are so many people who want that deep love yet 
there are so many fears and anxieties, just like Maddie said, is the incongruence that we, we give one um, social face to people and then reality is something different. And there's this um, inauthenticity within relationships because we're, we're based in fear um, and we're all so afraid that someone will cheat, someone will um, mistreat us, someone won't live up to being that person that we don't give fully and then because we don't give fully, the other person's going, well, do they really love us? Don't they really love us? Um, and if we could get rid of that fear, relationships would be so easy. But self-preservation is innate in us. Yes. And it, with each disappointment or with each knockback that we get, it's further reinforced and the barriers get stronger. So um, as you're saying, when you get to a situation where you're looking at, at, at receiving love, first of all, you doubt it. You have um, anxieties that if I let my barriers down, I stand to be wounded, disappointed, um, all of the negatives. Um, I make myself vulnerable. And those very things in the balance also diminish your ability to um, appreciate and acknowledge and accept and enjoy the love that is coming your way. So it is a vicious circle, you know, in a, in a, in a sense. Yeah. How do you get to the point where you can look at your um, instincts to preserve yourself, especially if you've um, had a serious um, breakup? And you really do not want to feed to go there because it's painful. It's mm. extremely painful. And nobody wants to feel that hurt again, ever. I mean, it's, that's how we're conditioned. How do you get to the point of having enough confidence to say, I am willing to do the full hog and let my barriers down and experience this because it could be the best thing that's ever happened to me? Um, yeah, I, I think those hurts are mini versions of, you know, Alan was talking about trauma um, and then they're mini traumas. And we, we um, so we all carry scars um, and so we have fears. I think even before we've been hurt, we've been told that we have to be someone, we have to live up to a certain things that there's there's right and there's wrong or there's good and there's bad. And um, we're told that from a child, you know, like be, be a good boy, be, be a good girl. Um, all of those things are even before we go to school. And then school is like a process of making you fit into the average. So what's critical there is knowing that, you can be happy regardless of what anyone else does or says that happiness comes from you. And so when you're looking in terms of relationship, any one individual may not live up to the relationship that you want, but if you go out and you have the confidence and the faith in yourself, that you can heal from a breakup, that you can redefine that someone that you said was 
always going to be so first of all you go into a relationship and you go in with the mindset of i'm with this person and i'm going to commit fully to this person and yet you know there's kind of a, a dichotomy that you give everything and yet you also know that if anything was to happen whether through death or breakup that you can still be as happy that your happiness is not tied to that specific person that it's the relationship that fulfills you and not the individual and it isn't one specific person because as long as you know you can recover from the breakup because it's that's redefining your future happiness you can always meet and connect and find someone who you can have a similar level of quality of relationship with um, then you have so much more confidence then you demand a certain level of standard and behavior before you will um, that you'll accept and that causes people to rise and treat you differently um, and so you have a better relationship you bring more out of them and if it doesn't then you know that you can recreate that and you know that even on your own you can be happy regardless but that means you have to acknowledge to yourself that your your relationship is not you the person it is a relationship with another person and that person is not responsible for making you happy um because if you believe that that person is responsible for your happiness and for your being, your, your well-being and your sense of self, then when that person goes, what's left behind? Yeah, so the first is, is the responsibility that your happiness is only your responsibility. And you navigate your relationships and the world based on that happiness so that happiness has to be the priority so the first thing you know like when they talk about on um flights you put your own oxygen mask on first you first have to um have your own happiness because if you don't have your own happiness you're going to be selfish and the problem um as alan talked about in relationships is that most people aren't fundamentally happy and taking full responsibility for their own happiness themselves. And because of that, then we, we assign blame to other people and then um, relationships descend into petty disagreements. Um, so it's first and foremost, it's if you think of like um, your life is this big circle and a relationship is a part of that circle. Um, and all of your relationships come within that circle, but you have to transcend every relationship and every, uh, everything else in there. And not in a, not people misunderstand when you're talking about that. It, it's not in a sense of being selfish. So the selfish that Alan talked about is selfish as in, I have to get this because if I don't get this, um, or if you get this, I get less. And that's a scarcity of fighting for resources, whether they're emotional or physical resources, but selfish in a sense of I'm going to fill my cup up so much that it overflows and you, um, I can give you everything once my cup is overflowing. 
because otherwise innately our instincts are we we need to be filled first and that can drain any the other partner because they are always given they are they are they're, they're being taken from constantly and what you are providing is not what you are as a receptacle you're taking you're taking yeah. taking you're taking um which says to me that you become it, it, it becomes an unequal relationship but at the same time you can become so accustomed to taking it, it it's almost in my mind it would become a behavior that is hard to break if you're if you're if you're not careful because yeah and that that's way it's supposed to be yeah and those dynamics where come from so many people need a relationship because they're unhappy they they want a relationship to be the magic pill to escape from their life and all that happens is they add the complexity and they add more unhappiness to their unhappiness so they either drain someone dry of of um you know their personal happiness or um you get two unhappy people and they just explode um yeah a relationship's not the answer to happiness it may be part most of us do need a relationship we do need that love that intimacy that connection but it's it's not the solution to happiness true that kills the conversation <laughs> <laughs> But that is so true though. And I think like acknowledging that a relationship is not the solution to happiness. It, if anything, it almost sets you free because I think so many people put so much pressure on finding the right person and not being alone by a certain age. And it's like, none of that at the end of the day really makes you who you are. And it's more of a liberation rather than a negative thing, I think. Yeah. Definitely. All of those things, society's pressures, feelings like ticking biological clock, ticking like you're going to be left on the shelf and, and, and all that social pressure. All of those things create anxiety, which creates fear, which then plays out in a relationship and makes it negative. Mm. Definitely. And I think, especially with society's pressures, like what I think is, I mean, I will come from a spiritual perspective on this, but like, you know, it's just other humans telling other humans stuff that they don't really know anything about. Like, I think at the end of it all, you know, everyone likes to think they have the answer, but no one has any clue. Um, yeah, this is like something that I always think like, you know, like you have to be registered to be, say you have to be registered to be a therapist or you have to be registered to um, do something like that, right? By who? So basically all therapies come from someone has an idea. Um, Freud's research, like the, the origin of therapy probably goes back to Freud. Um, and his research was based on eight people, um, which was later found that um, a lot of it was fraudulent. Um, so, Right, so then he writes something. People go, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We're going to then institutionalize this. You need to have this qualification, right? Look at the state of the world's relationships. Who has the answer? There is, um, and yet all these people are registering people just because someone s s 
came up with a theory of philosophy. They gained some popularity. They, they became, um, it's like getting on the media and like, does some talk show host have the ability to make you an expert? You know, all these people are defining themselves as experts because they've been on TV. It just means that they've had popularity that they've, um, like, found the mechanics to do that and then they're saying no one else can practice this unless they agree with me which is what society has done throughout um you know the whole of religion is basically um they've taken jesus never set up christianity buddha never set up buddhism someone else has taken it and set their own standards on it so yeah you set me off on a rant <laughs> But yeah, none of us, we're all stumbling. None of us know. And um, I, I've given a few years of devotion to focused on relationships and seen a lot. But this, I still so much, like how much percentage do I know? John Gottman will say that, you know, what, what does he know after 40 years of, of study? Um, and yet people are saying, this is what you should do. Everyone's unique. We all have to find our own path. So therefore, what we need to do is to get the strength within ourselves to be able to question and come to our conclusions based on our experiences. What is it that we want? We, we all, yeah. Yes, and, 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 and bring those together. So we need to learn to question. I think some of the times, because things are it's an emotional thing. It's about you. It's, 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 it's very difficult because you're looking inwards on yourself. So it's hard to um, be rational sometimes in terms of how you're thinking about a problem because it's, it's all your emotions, you know, that, that are involved. Um, and you can't be dispassionate about that. But nonetheless, I think we all need to learn to ask ourselves certain questions and the answers to those questions, we should use those as guides to help us as we go along. We'll never have all the answers. We are evolving, different experiences, different things come at us different times, but we put it all together in that basket that is us, you know, and the more you add to it and the more you're honest about it, I think you will come to a point where you and I, 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 I don't know, happiness sometimes kind of this kind of unattainable state of what's it, you know, euphoria, which it's not. I think it's a state of understanding and acceptance of self um, more than anything else. And then you can be happy in it, whatever form you, you define happiness to be. Hmm. I, uh, I, I think we have all the answers. It's just we have so much other noise that's been put into us. Who are you to know this? Who, like, what makes you special? What makes you different? Why, why shouldn't you follow everyone? Um, and I think so much of that has been put in that we don't just don't trust ourselves and we're disconnected from, from what it is. And we don't trust that's If we could trust ourselves, that would be it. And, um, and Alicia, in parts of society also, we have to be strong to know what, um, what is societal pressure, what expectations are, and decipher which ones are important for us to, um, to heed, and those that we should really, you know, 
look at and, and, and move up, just do what really matters to us. We're speaking to somebody who is just um, a rebel. So, yeah. <laughs> do your own thing. <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah, which is which is like, yeah, I was the biggest rebel in school. And, and I first learned, I think, Myers-Briggs because my daughter was like, I, I'm, I'm the parent is like, yeah, you just go and do what's you. Don't listen to them. Don't follow that. Um, and she was like the, the child, her personality type who needed to be told, this is it, you're doing a good job, you're following the rules. Um, Alicia, you, you were talking, but you were muted. Oh, yeah, no, I was just agreeing with Sandra, really, that I think happiness is um, total journeying back to yourself and be content in your own self. Like, I'm a massive believer in my own life where I just think that if more people would just take the time to actually understand what it meant to be them there'd be so many less issues and problems in the world like I'm not like oh yeah you know there's never gonna be conflicts and everything because everyone has a light side and a shadow side and I think embracing your shadow side is a fundamental um, reality of life. I think that when people pretend they don't have any bad parts about themselves, they're probably the most dangerous because they haven't got the self-awareness to actually understand what makes them so awful because we all have awful bits. But like, um, I think if more people would kind of just spend sort of detach from everything they're told. I think which people just have been more free thinking and not just read something online and be like, oh yeah, that must be true. Or just think that because someone else agrees with them that you both have the same right idea. I just think like, I say to this to my sister, I just think people just need to take more time to discover who they actually truly are. And, oh, I don't know if I've actually gone off. Um, my internet's a bit bad. Um, but yeah, I just think it's more of a shame. And I think all this stuff in the media nowadays with, you know, the COVID-19 and everything that's going on, I think people need to understand, and I'm not gonna get too into it because I'll just be here for ages, but like a lot of it is meant to divide and divide us and conquer us because we're weaker and we're not um, together. And we're also weaker when we're not together within, our, within ourselves. I just wish more people would understand that. Yeah, I think, I think, um... We have to make ourselves, you have to be strong, not wrong. Um, you have to make your narrative where we condemn ourselves um, and we should accept we are what we are. We might, none, no one is perfect. Like no one can live up to the standards that we think, but we have to accept we are what we are and then make our narrative around that. Yeah. definitely and even people who are like way 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 older than all of us like I think like one of the biggest things for me would be to die and to not actually understand anything about myself I think no matter if you want the riches or if you want all that stuff that on the outside looks successful what people think is success like for me I thought of thought a year about yoga if I were to die and I didn't actually know who I truly was that would probably be the biggest travesty I could ever actually sort of do to myself and also to other people like I think I have a duty to kind of move forward in life in a more authentic way because I think more people should do that yeah anyway, that's my two cents <laughs> thank you <laughs>
Peter, you've been very quiet today. Have you got anything um, anything to tell us? I was wondering that. Me? No, I'm just I'm I'm listening and thinking this week. I think. Basically, I mean, as someone who's been on quite a long, I mean, I'm interested by everyone sort of talking about, you know, being self-aware and stuff. But then, but then, Alan, you you were kind of talking about being selfish as well. And if you kind of love, if you do, if where I am, I suppose, and you know, I've I've been on, I've I've been going, I've been having counselling, and I've been doing other bits and pieces, and I've done quite a big self exploration. And this isn't the first time in my life I've done this, but I've had a real good deep dig down in there. Basically, I'm trying to improve that relationship with myself. But, but there are times I think in my life, where, where, I mean, I've always been quite aware of, of myself and other people. And, and I certainly wouldn't say I'm a selfish person. But I'm not actually sure how much it's helped me, if anything, because I, I mean, I have a touch of the rebel about me as well. And, and I, also, I'm quite honest, this idea of a social, I'm quite interested in that idea of a social person. And so you have, you have one face that you give to other people and you have a face for myself. I'm always someone that I've always tried to be the same person even at work, really, in some respects, that to how I am with my friends, or I mean, obviously I might moderate my language, but I, I think I'm probably fairly consistent, and people that know me would say that. And I don't, I think it's just caused me trouble, basically, because, because if you are, if you are sort of sure, confident, then it, it can call, it can bring you into conflict with people, I think, really. And maybe that's, you know, I'm sort of listening to these things that people are suggesting and I'm thinking, well, I've been do doing that most of my life and I'm still, I'm still sort of not really where I want to be, I suppose, really. So it's interesting because, it, I mean, it's, it's been very philosophical chat to me tonight. But, but I, I mean, I can't, I think the one thing that I would say, I, <laughs> and I know you're big in your sort of happiness stuff, but, but if, you, you know, if you're, if you're going to improve that relationship with yourself, surely that is going to make you selfish, wouldn't you say? Because if you're putting yourself first, then surely that, that, that brings selfishness in a way. No, I, I, think, I think it does the opposite. It adds to selflessness um, because, you know, the, the example that, that Rob uh, gave which is brilliant, and I do use it myself, of when the oxygen masks fall down um, mm -hmm. and you put it on yourself first. But you're doing that because in order to secure strength, you have mm -hmm. to make yourself strong. So if I'm weak and I, and I need to provide strength to others, well, I might do that at the cost of myself, my life, my happiness, my whatever. But if I build myself up into a pillar of strength, should we say, then mm. just like the example of the cup overflowing with abundance, then I mm. have got that ability to give it, you know, that give that strength away. And it, and there's a, there's a there's a fable which is the chicken and the pig. And very briefly, a chicken and a pig go into the forest, and they go into a clearing, and there's all children crying, and they ask why the children are crying. And the children are crying because they're hungry. And the pig says, I know, should we feed them? And the chicken says, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll give them some eggs and you give them some pork. So basically, the adage there is the chicken can give 
mm. at no cost to itself because it has the strength or the eggs in this case to do so. Whereas mm. the pig, it will be given away rashes of bacon, sausage, etc. But at the cost to its own strength, its own well-being, and ultimately its own life. And that's, mm. I think that's the danger that we face if we're looking to be, and this, the, I think this is the key, and I certainly have been here where I've sat there on my own and thought, I wish someone would knock on that door and, you know, I open it and they stretch their arms out and say, come here, you're rescued. And you can't, you know, I think we'd all be a liar if we, if we, you know, wouldn't have experienced that at one point in our lives. But I don't want to be rescued by anyone else. I really don't. Because that means I'm helpless and I don't want to be helpless. I don't want to be reliant on somebody else to come along and save me from my situation. I don't want to be in a situation to be saved from. And that's where I'm looking to, to get to. I, I think um, we all have, you know, when we take, um, we, we take responsibility. If we're responsible for our happiness, I think we are responsible for our health. So if we want to be healthy, we, we, and we do, like basically, ultimately our life is about, when you look at Maslow's, it's about security, it's about connection, love, and then it's about meaning. And for us to have meaning, we have to have health. We have to be... Um, so we, we have to look after ourselves. We have to eat well, we have to, you know, exercise that kind of thing so that we feel good, sleep well. We then have to have good relationships so that we feel good. And when we get to that point, when we're full of health, when we're full of energy, when we're full of love, what have we got? We've got everything we need. So then everything that we've got we, is to give. Because there's, there's a point, like people are greedy for money. We've talked about this, right? But when you're Bill Gates and you've got $60 billion, you know you can never spend all that. There's, there's nothing he can buy that, like that amount of money, there's nothing more that he can buy. So what do you do? You, you, you've got to give in order to, to improve your status, to improve your um, purpose, to feel that you've, you've died giving what you need so that you're a good person. So because money, after you've got to security, after you've got to love, money is about who am I? The reason that designer clothes are so uh, so. Um, like the difference between a Gucci t-shirt and a Primark t-shirt is um, basically, <laughs> um, we're not going to get into the conspiracy theories, but the basic difference between a Gucci and a Primark t-shirt is about identity. All right, there's a, there's a level of quality, um, but that is, is like a few quid more, whereas like a thousand pound more is about who am I when I wear this? So the human, I think we avoid the truth, the reality of human nature. And the reality is that we are brutal, 
selfish, uh, self-interested, um, savage. I, I've been reading the book, which is um, selfish, stupid, and selfish, stupid, and uh, something else else. But um, basically, it argues that this is human nature, and then if we accept that, we deal with the reality. Um, this is like embracing our dark side as, as a species. If we embrace that reality um, and then work with that. So when you have enough, all, you, all you've got, you can't take anymore. So then you have to give. So the, the more self, so it's like looking after yourself. So in terms of like our responsibilities primarily to ourselves like Alan said, to make sure that we're the one who is strong, who is the pillar of strength in order that we can help others. But we also, um, we could cut it from another um, viewpoint. We, as you said, we are brutal creatures. Um, we are driven by hormones, you know, adrenaline and or endorphins, etc. And as you say, after you acquire, you're acquiring all of these billions of dollars. That is, that gives the adrenaline rush. That's, you know, and the pleasure, the endorphins get released and so forth. When you have so much that it no longer means anything, you have to find an, another way of getting that same relief. It's like an addiction in, in, a, in a sense. So what do you do You in the typical American um, where you get into philanthropy, you give away, and that is the feel-good factor that you are now embarking on to replace the acquisition phase that you went through to acquire these, these billions. But for those of us who cannot acquire billions, what is it that gives us the, um, those feel-good um, feelings um, what is it that makes us feel that way, that, um, that elated and that sense of happiness and achievement and all the rest of it? And you mentioned um, taking care of the physical self before. And I think just as, the, as how we exercise and we take good care of our diets and we look at and we buy clothes so that we look good and all the rest of it, um, for many people, the men mental health doesn't fit into that equation at all. So it doesn't get much, much, much time until it becomes um, something that is really important. And that I think is tied into our emotional health and our ability to love and be loved and all of those things. So I don't know how you see um, people creating that balance wherein you take care of all aspects of self to be able to actually love and receive and be loved. Yeah. I'll just answer quickly um, before anyone else um, is that what, what I wanted to just, what I didn't make clear is when I talked about billionaires giving away money. Now, most of the time they give it away without really charitable intent. Some of them do. Um, but, what I talk, what I meant was if we do that in health, we do that emotionally, we do it in every area of life where we have so much. Um, so me, uh, a lot of mental health problems 
are argued to have come from our society, from our social structure. And so it's, it's that whole, so I think we have a personal responsibility, health, relationships, um, personal happiness. We primarily should be rebels against everything everyone else tells us because we have to find our own path and it's not accepting what anyone else says it's working out for ourselves so i think we we have to that got got me into trouble basically that got me into trouble in my job and it got me into trouble in my relationship i think basically Uh, and and, and that that's the thing isn't it i mean it's it's funny i think think i've probably mentioned this before but i'm reading because i'm I'm quite interested and i think maddie's gone but we were talking earlier about like I'm still not sure I can actually define what happiness is, and it's and it's interesting, and I think that's what's given me so much thought tonight, because I think I've realised that I know what makes me happy, okay, but I'm not actually sure I could tell you what I think happiness is, and at, and at sort of 44, you know, that's that's quite something to sort of um, think, I suppose, in some respect. But um, I've lost my bloody train of thought already. But in, but in some respects, like you know, I, I've always been quite an honest person, and it, and like I say, it gets me into trouble. And I and I used to do those things where I used to stick up front people, and it and it basically I got shafted at work because of who I am, because I was uncompromising, and I stood I stood up for people who were who who didn't have anyone to stick up for them, and basically I work in the public sector, and they did a job with me, and it basically screwed me up basically. <laughs> and it, and it's funny, isn't it? Because because you have these sort of ideals, and then you know it's like that old thing about about someone saying that you know like a liberal, like 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 a fascist is a liberal who just hasn't been robbed yet. You know that sort of stuff, basically. So as soon as something happens to you, it makes you it does change your views. So I've kind of hit this thing where I'm having, a, I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm having an existential crisis because I know myself well enough to know what I'm like. I'm really, really exploring who I am, basically, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading this book about, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably have heard of it, but it's, it's this, you know, the subtle art of not giving a F-U-C-K, basically. Yeah. And that talks about the idea of, that, that it talks about Buddhism at the beginning, basically, and it says that, you know, Obviously, one of the fundamental parts of Buddhism is that life is about suffering. Okay, and this is kind of what we were talking in our group earlier. So maybe, maybe you could say that happiness is just an absence of suffering, and I, I think that's probably what Buddhism says, basically. But obviously, there's a lot of life throws a lot of suffering at you, basically, and some of it you can control, and some of it you can't control. And obviously learning to accept, and we were talking about acceptance and, and that the other word that I can't remember that Maddie was talking about as well, but acceptance is definitely quite a big idea, isn't it, in terms of this. And maybe this is what I can't do yet. And I've learned to with some things, but not with others. And that's because I am a rebel and I don't like accepting certain situations, basically. But, but politically as well, basically, because I'm quite a smart ass and I, you know, I'm quite a good orator as well. But... And maybe I am lacking a little purpose because of certain things in my life. And I, but COVID, in some respects, has trapped me where I am. And I'm trying to move to my next stage. And, and, and I've kind of physically been prevented from doing that because of a number of factors, which has kind of arisen 
And although it's easy to blame other things, I think I find it difficult sometimes to accept external factors. And that does affect my happiness, basically. And I'm not sure I ever will be able to accept something to be honest, because I'm a passionate man. And I mean, I never used to back crutches, basically, but I've definitely, and I probably still don't really, basically, but... You know, in, in the lot, like the guy at work that screwed me over, I really don't like him, basically. You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying I bear a grudge towards him, but say like he fell down the stairs or something and broke his leg. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like... And you were behind him pushing him. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't think it was karma, but I certainly wouldn't, there wouldn't be much sympathy there, but it, uh, and that's about as hard as I get on someone, basically, in terms of me of badness. Can you describe what you feel when you're happy? What does happiness do when you say you're happy? What is happening, what is happening in you? It's what? been really philosophical tonight. I'm a musician. So, so, so what Rob was talking about with this happiness of like playing the music instrument, I can experience that because I can get lost in playing a musical instrument. But in some respects, that's, it's almost like, that's almost like hiding from your problems in some respects. So I do enjoy music. But it's kind of the same as drinking or, you know, some people use exercise or drugs or whatever, basically. It, there is an element with music that it is just something, although it's a hobby, I suppose, but but it is something that, that allows me to escape my problems. But as we've heard tonight, that's probably a positive thing, but it's also not a positive thing in some respect, basically. Well, sometimes. So, a part of, I don't know. I honestly don't, really. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I was happy. I was happy in my relationship. I was also unhappy. A part yeah. of happiness yeah. then is a chemical reaction. There's a chemical <laughs> reaction in us. I'm not sure. It's weird. It's weird. I can honestly say to you, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think at the moment I'm so busy trying to control unhappiness, but I've also, like, I've, I've almost like prosacked myself, I think. Where, where I'm just sort of aiming for that middle ground where, of, of like no extremes, like to try and write myself, basically, I think. So it's kind of difficult to experience happiness. And, and I'm always someone who's, who's always loved the ups and the downs, you know, so I, I never would have wanted that middle ground. I always would have said, yeah, give me the highs and I'll take the lows. As I get older, you know, those lows, oh man, you know, they're really difficult, basically. They don't really become easier, <laughs> basically. You know, like you deal with things, but they, it, it, like this, it, in some respects, like the stakes become higher, don't they? What you're batting with as you get older actually becomes higher, so you've got more to lose, basically. You know, it's a, it, it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult to deal with the with the breakup of a of a long term relationship. You know, when when you're older than it is when you're younger. I think, and they're both difficult, but. But maybe maybe you're just a bit more hopeful, I suppose, when you're younger. And I'm not, it's not to say I don't have hope either. It's just, it's weird. I, I'm not sure I can actually find happiness for me, apart from water. I know I want to live near the sea, and the sea, that does give me sort of inner peace. But... I mean, it is just chemicals at the end of the day, isn't it? And, the, and the, <laughs> I've got like a little picture somewhere which says, you know, is love this kind of philosophical thing, you know, and this meeting of minds between you and, and another person, or is it just a biochemical reaction? And that's the thing, you know, it's, uh, 
really happiness and love are just biochemical reactions in some respects as well. And that's always in the back of my mind, basically. It's perception. And changing your perception is how you learn to accept things. I can't quite do the happiness with everything at the moment. I'm learning to do the sort of Prozac trying to control the unhappiness is is so you're saying that you have coping mechanisms then that help you to control yes yeah. I always have I mean I always have had coping mechanisms but I think um I mean, I you know, I'm finding London quite a nasty. I don't want to, I don't really want to be here anymore, and, it, and it's quite an unforgiving place, I think. Really. Obviously, I'm cut off from my friends and stuff, so I don't really have a support network either. So I am, and COVID has really buggered things up, right? So my my friend, and I'm worried about my mum, who's 200 miles away, basically, who's in her 80s. I mean, it's funny, you know, I was kind of gearing up to take that step and begin that new life, and it's um, you know, it's. Like six months on, okay, I'm still bloody in the same place. Like, it's turned into group therapy. It does this occasionally. Um, there is there is something that I, I from what you said, I think um, one of the reasons meditation has taken off is mm. that if you can do it and you can stop your thoughts, mm. that's like the, playing the music. Um, yeah. so I think there is that happiness side effect. I think really the things that we strive for, love and happiness, aren't something that we should aim for. They're yeah. something that should come as a side effect of living well. And you use the story of Buddha. Mm. And when you look, the, the story of Buddha is really about he, the story Oops. He's lost him. He's stuck. Come back, Rob. <laughs> Maybe he's ascended to the next plane of existence. State of Nirvana. Oh, dear. Has anyone got any good jokes whilst we wait? <laughs> well, you can fill in, can't you, Alan? Surely. Um, does anyone um, want to, who hasn't spoken yet, does anyone have anything to, to add or any questions or comments that you'd like to make? Or even a good joke. <laughs> so just um, kind of like a, a, a summary thing, just while we wait for, for Rob. Do, do we feel that we have um, we've gained anything from, from this evening? Do we feel that we've improved in our knowledge or understanding of self or, or indeed happiness? Anyone want to comment on that? Maybe. 
I've definitely, I've definitely got some food for thought. I think. An interesting session, actually. I mean, I mean, I mean, we we finished the last session quite philosophically. And this one is kind of being philosophical for me off. I think really. I think it's a topic that we can come back to after mm. a few weeks, maybe. So, Alicia, this is your first time on the session. What did it meet with your expectations? Um, how how have you found it? I literally didn't have any expectations. I just like the title of the uh, the meeting. And I was like, that's pretty interesting because I think, um, I feel like love in not what I would term as true love, but you know, the sensationalized version of love is not actually what I would deem to be real love. Um, and I just wanted to hear everybody else's thoughts about it, which has been pretty cool to be honest. I think that, I mean, I don't know because I don't even have nearly enough life experience in my own life to even, I'm not saying compared to any of you lot, obviously, but like, um, I just think, you know, it's good to question things. I don't think there's anything wrong with questioning stuff. I think we should all question everything, really. And I think that fact that we all do is pretty cool. Mm. I mean, you can have life experience at 26. You know, like, like I've met some very wise, you know, people in their 20s and even in their teens. I mean, you know, you, you, you're a pro your life, you're, you're a product of your life, I suppose. So, you know, some people just go with the flow, but other people actually pick up quite a lot of wisdom. I think so. So don't ever think that age is. I mean, and, and there's some pretty unwise bloody uh, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s as well. So age is not, it's not proportional, I think, by age to wisdom. It's attitude more, I think, really. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And what you learn from it, what you, you know, people, some people have experiences, but never stop to actually get and acquire their lessons that they should absorb from those experiences. So um, it's, 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 as you said, it's not about age, it's about how you live no. and what you take from your experiences and how you um, build on them as you go, as you go through life. I, I mean, I've met people as well who are, who are perfectly happy and, and I wouldn't call them particularly self-aware or whatever either, but they, but they're happy and they make other people happy. It's funny, isn't it? That, it, that there's not, I mean, it, I mean, Rob, I know, was saying sort of earlier, there, there isn't a magic formula. There's just nothing that you can actually say, you know, this will work, I don't think. There's not something you can follow. You kind of have to, you have to feel your way yourself, I suppose. But happiness is also related to your, your horizons. It depends on, yeah. on what you want out of life. And if you're, if you're happy with, um, mm. you know, X and Y, then that's your that's your your comfort zone and that that you are happy in another person will look at that and say no that's too confining that's too narrow that's too small that's too oh that's just not me i'd be totally unhappy with living like that so yeah mm. and you go to different cultures and you see people very very happy extremely happy and you look at it through the lens of your experiences and you wonder how 
but they look at your life and they wonder what a crazy person, what all of these things that you you know you need and you think you need, that's not happiness. So it's mm. it's individual. I think you know what you were saying there, Pete, about um, about yourself. I mean, I, I personally, you can you can call it God if you like, and or whatever. But I I believe that there's there is this love, this source of love, this source of goodness out there, um, which you can tap into. Um, and if you want to use the term prayer to, to do that or whatever, then then so be it. But I think the idea of truly doing something alone, I wouldn't like the idea of that. Um, so even when I do talk about doing things for myself, I'm not technically doing them for myself. I am doing them for the greater good, a, a wider expanse than, than myself. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm by no means am I where I, where I want to be or anything like that. And I don't think anyone ever will be because it, it is simply a journey and we're never going to reach perfection. Um, it's an impossible, impossible feat. Unless we have, and that's what Sandra's saying, it's about your expectations, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, it's, it's good to have targets because that's how you get through life because you always want to be aiming for something. But the problem with that, I suppose, is that if you, I suppose it's what happens when you fail, isn't it? And one of the things I think that I think in life, no one really teaches you how to cope with failure, basically. And I think that that's that that that's kind of like the first thing that you that you get where things start going wrong, isn't it? Basically. Well, I always remember watching an episode of Red Dwarf a couple of years yeah. ago, and there was a for anyone who's ever seen it, there was a guy who in one of the characters and in a different dimension, his character failed at school, so it meant that because he'd failed at school he had to repeat the year and that was deemed as a failure but the truth was that the failure was actually the, the very thing that made his success yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm you know every single one of us here has, has had a, a failure in one way or another whether it's you know in a relationship or job or whatever yeah. we've all failed in one way or another but the important thing is is that not we're not here to rest upon our laurels, are we? We're here to build, like like rising of the phoenix. We're here to to build something out of what or out of the ashes. And mm. the fact that we're all here, we're all living, we're all breathing, means that we do have that ability and we do have that chance to develop ourselves. And a lot of people don't do that. They'll wallow in self pity, mm. and you know they'll go out and commit crime because they don't have what they want and they'll take what they want or what they feel that they, they need. We're not doing that. We're looking at it from a more positive point of view. And I think that's something to really bear in mind. Mm. No. I'm a, I'm a sorry. Sorry, Pete. I can't. I'm just going. No, I was just, um, Alan was saying you take what you want um, and you do all of those things, but that in itself is filling a void, trying to fill a void. And that um, is, is uh, again a transient feeling of 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 elation or whatever, and um, you you go uh, and you want to do something again to to create that feeling of of, of happiness or whatever it is self worth, uh, and so 
that is a downward spiral and that's in itself um, destructive or can be destructive. So I suppose uh, if you are not honest with yourself at the outset, yes, that is, you, you can end up on trying to use plasters mm. to solve the problem. You never solve the problem because you never get to the root of the problem. And all the other things are just temporary solutions. Well, they're not solutions, they're just solved, so to speak. And the problem and the problem remains. It will go through your life because you have not you have not addressed it. I suppose which comes back down to the whole thing of being honest with oneself. Hmm. I, I, I am a great believer in the phrase. Of when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I really like that. And that ability to turn negativity into a positive is a good thing. And I'm certainly not a wallower, and I and I am quite a positive person. But but I I just had a sort of run of pretty crappy luck from about 2015, basically, which started with the death of my father, and then I had this problem with work, and then it culminated. There was some other things, and then it culminated, obviously, in the ending of my relationship after nine years and those things all sort of happened and they're probably all connected but it's funny isn't it because you're kind of going one way in life and then suddenly you end up with you know like a bit off the like seriously off the you know off where you're trying to be i suppose and it's and, and you do you know no matter how much you say it's good to you know it's good to try and turn things into a positive it's it's pretty difficult to do that when kind of your entire world has disappeared and so like your family's changed, your job's changed, and your and your sort of love life has changed as part of that three pretty fundamental things. I, guess, I, think, you know, I, think, I think it's a mistake to say um you to to the idea of turning a, a negative into a positive. You can't mm. do that, in my opinion. I think you just create a positive from a negative situation um yes. you know so you're bringing something new into the into a situation that already exists because to think that and, and it's a mistake that a lot of people do make that oh, i have to i have to create this bad thing and turn it into into a good thing you you just can't do that it's about bringing new stuff in and as i said earlier you know Nobody, nobody knows what life has in store. Um, I mean, like last last year, I bought a new car, and the reason I bought a new car is because I had a massive run of bad luck, um, which culminated in someone pulling a knife out on me when I was in my car, um, yeah. and the police even said to me, "You need to get rid of this car because you you just having loads of bad luck." So anyway, I decided to get a new car. And on like two days before I'm due to partex my old car for this new car, um, I parked it outside work and then comes back to the car. Someone smashed into the side and 500 quid's worth of damage. So I looked at the car, I looked at what had happened, all this bad luck, and I thought, right, I could potentially cry, but I thought, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that because... And this just this thought coming to mind, and the thought was, you do not know why this has happened, so don't get upset about it. Mm. And I thought, okay, I'll go with that. So 
I drove to the garage um, and I said, look, I need to just delay this uh, this deal um, and I need to, I'm not part of, ne- part of an exchange in my car anymore. Didn't tell him why. I said, I'm going to sell it privately, but it'll mean I won't have a car. And he said, oh, we'll lend you this car then. So I was like, okay. So they lent me an upgraded car and basically, long story short, I ended up getting the upgraded car with the same price as I would have got the lesser model. So what I originally thought had cost me money mm. has actually saved me money and I've got a better car as a result. And I know it's only a car, but it's just an example of looking at life by the level of your own understanding. A lesser person or someone with a, a less broad mindset than me would have, you know, gone and drank or even killed themselves. That you know, that's what's happened. Over silly things like that. Yeah, it's a good example that on how to shift your frame of thinking when bad things happen. Yeah, I, I. I agree. I, th- I think um, it is like you were saying about earlier about acceptance. And um, I was going to say that you've mentioned about Buddha. Um, and I think there's a temptation to define success or failure as what happens to you. And I think that the lessons of Buddha, Jesus, and all those kind of people who are held up as examples is they did what they did regardless of the results of what they did. They did it from an inner um, congruence and it didn't matter whether they were persecuted, whether how fair it was, how unfair it was. And so the, 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 the passion how I understood Jesus, um, the strength of him was that he was the only one who didn't change regardless of whatever temptation, threat or challenge he faced. He continued to stay true, whereas everyone else in that story um, changed based on what they would gain. And when you look at the story of the Buddha, is his he transcended life by understanding it didn't matter what the threat, everything was an illusion that was a threat um, or a temptation. And so I think the challenge of life is that we have to, like Alan's just said in that example, when something happens, it's accepting it. It's accepting that life, there are times, like when they've done studies on people over their lifetime, everyone faces those challenges. Everyone has, parents die, they lose their jobs, they have moments of failure, they have moments of success. The the, The secret to happiness isn't based on external circumstances. It's based on can you still be yourself when the world tells you you're wrong? Can you still be yourself when no one likes you? Can you still be yourself when the not being yourself means that you get the promotion, it gets means you get the praise, it means you get the adulation. So it is can you be yourself regardless of any external 
reward or loss. You're talking about resilience, Rob. Um, it's, it's even deeper than resilience. It's about authenticity. I'm going to be who I am, regardless of what the world says about me. And I don't mean that in, in the sense of I'm going to be a dick. But no, I, I know. Mean, I, I'm I going hear to hear what you're saying. From the highest sense, I'm going to do what I think is the highest um, pursuit. Like Alan talked a couple of weeks ago about overcoming fear and his journey. And I think that is basically that journey stated differently. Greta Thunberg is, a, I suppose, a, a good example of somebody like that now, today, as, a, as an example today. Greta? Yeah, and, that, that's the young girl, isn't it? Yeah. The I don't watch the news, much of the news, but... Hmm? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know enough, so possibly... Fixity of, fixity of purpose and regardless of... Um, I think... Um, Yeah, I'm saying fixity of purpose and ignoring um, opposition, steadfast, um, all of the points that you're saying in terms of, 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 of being true to self and really um, being convinced that what she's doing is what she needs to do. Um, yes, I... I... I'm not sure in that particular example because I don't. I haven't seen enough, and I've seen a not lot that she she's or whether she is or she's made to look like she's deranged and um, whatever. Because there's there's about I think Nelson Mandela is a great example in his later years of he had that, that fixed purpose, and yet he was also um, understanding of the other side. I'm not sure with the Greta if she's just about climate change and not understanding the other side and um is it, there's a little bit of letting go of the outcome you no, give I your best you have, to see, you have to see greta in um she's on the um is it is it the autistic spectrum she has or asperger's i'm not sure exactly which one she has so her behavior if you if if you temper your expectations of how she reacts and how she interacts with people and her I suppose her fixity within that lens, then maybe you'd understand what she's what she's about or temper your expectations of her. And also she's young, but um, yeah. I, I, I just thought of her and you're quite right, Nelson Mandela, yes, um, would be a good example of holding steadfast to his beliefs, even throughout all his years of incarceration, and still holding to them after after his release. Um, but how many of us can really hold that line for, for a lifetime and live live like that? I think that is something that. Yeah, we you're part of a movement because because all of those people led movements, didn't they? So yeah. It's a lot more difficult to do it in day-to-day -day life when you haven't got loads of supporters, I suppose. I mean, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? As someone who's kind of cut off from people, and it's not that I haven't got any friends, but none of them are really, you know, in proximity to me. I, it, I, I'm, I'm going through life largely without support. Plus, I'm also giving support to other people as well, basically. So, 
I'm, yeah. I, I suppose I'm feeling a bit, you know, you know, like we were talking about, obviously it's good to have all that. It's good to have an abundance of love so you can give it out basically. But, but sometimes you're not in a position where, you know, you're never ready for these situations, are you, basically, when things happen? Sometimes you just have to sort of... Um, but then it comes basically. back to relationships again, as you're saying. It, I think it comes yeah. back... If you're in a relationship, you compromise on commitments to, 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 to those kinds. If you look at all of those leaders, they're not married. They are single or they, they are... Yeah. And all of their energies go towards that. Mm. Having a relationship means that you have to give to the other person, which means it takes away, it will take away from that commitment, that deep commitment that you have, and also children. So um, mm. you're right. How many of us can have that deep commitment to anything when you are striving to maintain a relationship with somebody else and also taking care of children if they happen to be in there you that's your commitment i think day-to-day -day life is much harder i think we have people like the dalai lama and um yeah. buddhist monks um and it's easier in that life because they've organized their life around that idea um however i think the answer to all our problems is and I think the relationship dynamics are so key that if you have the relationship dynamics where it doesn't drain you and it doesn't drain them um, and instead builds you both up, mm. then that is key to managing both of your, of your um, personal happiness. Yet the problem is that we haven't evolved fast enough to be capable of that technologically we've outstripped our emotional capability and mm. so when alan was talking about you know nobody's got the ability to delay gratification everyone wants everything now 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 that is because the technology has it outstripped our ability to delay gratification our emotional development and mm. so social media is where all these things are built to game, you know, to gamify us and to make us addicted is dangerous because we don't have the emotional, um, emotional capability or um, the resilience. We, I suppose um, in the pre-social media era, things were a lot slower and people, um, had time to digest, had time to take things slow. You hear about relationships which um, relied on the snail mail. So um, things went, you know, went for weeks before the letter came and you wrote whatever. And Oh, Alicia, you're too young for all of that. <laughs> um, and so people courted for several years or, you know, um, and yes, so social media has speeded up all of that. And yeah. you're right again that um, we have not evolved to move through the emotional um, roller coaster that comes along with that speed. But also, I think it's not just the speed, but also the, the overwhelming amount of 
of, of, of information. There's too much stimulation all at once impinging on everything that we're trying to make sense out of. So we're, over, we're desensitized. We are, we're, we're trying to find some kind of equilibrium that allows us to, you know, feel a sense of control throughout all of this, especially um, when you look at how people um, are able to, when you meet a person, face to face, you, you behave in a much different way to when you're on, um, on social media. And face to face gives you some amount of, um, you can see the cues, you can react or you can withdraw. Social media, it's in your face, it's right there. It's boom, 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 boom. Instant as, as Alan says, in many respects. So uh, I think we're trying to navigate and trying to find a way through that enables us to to feel comfortable and to feel like we're in control. Mm. Which is why I think when people get trolled and they are ghosted and all of those terms, some of which I'm still learning, <laughs> they feel so violated. Mm. I think, I think you, you can't really treat it like, like normal Man, I think, and and that that's that's a thing. I, I think of of my generation and, and generations that came before me. They they treat it like a letter, and you can't treat it like that. There's a different set of rules, and what what goes on social media, and it, you know, there's even different rules really amongst Facebook and Twitter and you know TikTok and all the other stuff that there is now. Basically, you know, I remember when Facebook went down. And, and every, all the Facebook users, it went down for like 24 hours and all the Facebook users went onto Twitter and they just got absolutely mauled because obviously on Twitter, everyone's just really rude to each other. Whereas on Facebook, it's a bit more sort of like mutual. You know, mm. and, it, and, it, and it really struck me about how different these things are, I suppose, really. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think uh, Facebook is is more like, it's like being in a pub and like being in a... Um, cafe and being in a library yeah. they're all different atmospheres yeah. um but the the key is always because the responsibility is what we feel is our ultimately our responsibility and it's not that that you know like yes people shouldn't do that however we can't control there are always going to there's always going to be a bully in the room there's always going to be someone who's seeking power there's always going to be someone um who's who's who isn't going to be nasty so we are always going to face that in life in in different contexts but it's if we but what what's really happening where, where social media is really damaging young children and older people is because they're taking someone's point of view and internalizing it as being more important than their own. And that's mm. happened somewhere, however well we are and, and uh, like this, the two generations and like my generation, we grew up before the internet but that was put there in school by a parent, by someone else who mm. made us believe that we have to listen to someone else's opinion more than our own. And that's the fundamental thing. It's 
what technology and social media and all these things are doing is preying on our vulnerabilities. And there's always going to be a bully in the world that's going to prey on the vulnerable. So like, if you want to solve bullying, you don't solve it by the bully because you just, you just create a job vacancy that someone else will step into because that's just social dynamics, but you help the bully child so that they're able to cope with it. Is it, is it social media that's the bully there? Are you talking about the gamification of it? Or it's fully it's the um, people. Yeah, I, I, I think. It's going kind of back to religion again, isn't it? And the difference between what a religion is and then how, it, how that religion is then like, popularised by the people who made the established we we are inherently selfish creatures we live in a world where selfishness is um rewarded um as in economically and so there is always going to be a mark zuckerberg uh, a bill gates there's always going to be a um someone who is going to mm. pray um, so if you look at gambling, gambling as an industry preys on the weakness okay. and the greed, yeah, but it, it, it only impacts our greed. When yeah. you look at, you know, like you get the Nigerian scammers are going to scam us from some prints. Um, it's our greed that we fall for it. So social media um, is popular because it validates us, because it gives us mm -hmm. attention. Um, and so that attention is the vulnerability from which we get hurt. And in the same way, the more vulnerable we are because we need something in a relationship, the more we get hurt. Mm. I certainly agree with the validation. If, if you go onto social media to seek validation, because you're not happy, then it's not And you open yourself up to abuse. Well, yeah. You're seeking. Mm. Isn't that exposing the vulnerability, though, that we spoke about before? By getting one thing, you have to expose yourself. Mm. Uh, well, I think there's a difference between being vulnerable and having a vulnerability. So when you're vulnerable, you're allowing someone the possibility of hurting you. But um, the vulnerability is having that, having that vulnerableness, but, but not necessarily sharing it, but having it and not being aware of it, aware of it yourself. Mm. So, so if, you're, if, you're, if your front door, when your front door opens, your house is vulnerable if you leave your front door open then it's important if you see what I mean that's a that's a vulnerability is that the right way to say it? um having the front door open if you leave it open yeah i think if you if you open the door and you let someone in I, um okay so let, let's say like opening the door to your heart if you open the door to someone to see your heart you're being vulnerable mm. but if if like if we have a need and this comes to the point of selfishness versus um looking after yourself first 
we have a need like you have a need to be loved all of us have a need to be loved right so we have to open the door to our heart to like have access to that the vulnerability is not um being aware that we have that need not being aware that that need is driving us and so we get we stumble in into a relationship into a relationship or a situation looking for that love that then ends up hurting us and the vulnerability is what drove um the situation the the problem the pain does that make sense so basically what you're saying is it because it's it, it's a fear isn't it we're using fear to see, or, or let's get, let's go even simpler. We're using a negative to see what we deem to be a positive, but it's not going to work because it's a negative, and we're receiving a negative. In that example, is producing a negative. So our vulnerability, which is a negative, is putting us into a relationship which isn't necessarily right for us because we've done it from a vulnerable point of view as opposed to a strength based position am i writing am i getting you right there i think so i i uh, let me let me go back to what you, you can i just say this um because i want to pick up on the point when you talked about tinder and it being instant gratification that is based on people needing that gratification now because they're afraid that if they don't get it now they, they won't get it always and so that's a vulnerability, which means that they don't get the relationship they really want because they're too scared of being, um, they're too anxious about it. So it's, oh, it's got to be this one now. It's got, they need that feeling now and can't cope with not getting that instant gratification. And because they can't get that grat instant gratification, they've got a vulnerability that is going to, a flaw that's going to stop them from getting what they really want and they're not aware of it so that's the vulnerability does that make sense is that yeah i think i think what you're saying is underlying it's fear-based isn't it yes yeah definitely um yeah it, it's and it's it's fear-based but it's not even being aware of the fear yeah yeah um whereas if you're aware of the fear and you let it happen anyway, that's been vulnerable. Okay. Yeah. Vulnerability is ha having that same thing, but not, not opening up and, and accepting it. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, Sandra. I... No, 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 it's okay. It, it, it's okay. You, 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 you said it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> mm. So does that kind of come full circle back to what I originally said about trying to remove fear from your life? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I definitely think so. I think that whole, yeah. Over, life is about overcoming fear. Mm. But we could have just said it in a sentence. <laughs> You see, what we should do is we should just open up with a sermon from the Scouse, the Scouse Guru, and uh, 
<laughs> and that's it. <laughs> well, I think you owe me some money, Rob, because I, I, um, I kind of like took the reins while she was away. We thought you'd have sent it to a higher flame, mate. <laughs> I, I, it was my moment of enlightenment. <laughs> when, I get, when I get paid out, I'll, I'll share it with you. Can I just, can I just, say, just say something? Um, I mean, based on what Alan yeah, said. Sure. Based on what Alan said earlier about removing fear, is, is that possible? Is that something possible to achieve? I think um, what's more achievable, I mean, I'm, I may be wrong about this, is, you know, allow yourself, you know, to feel that fear, but don't let it stop you doing from you, stop you doing whatever you want to do. So kind of feel the fear, but do it anyway. I don't know what you guys think of that. Uh, um, I absolutely agree with that. Um, that would be mine. I think fear is ever prison. It's, it, it's, it's something inbuilt protective. Um, but we shouldn't let fear stop us. But I'm going to hand you over to the Scouse Guru too. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's whatever works for you for yourself, really. Um, fear, I agree with you, Rob. Fear is ever present. It's always there. Um, even in the case of, oh, shall I go out now to the shops? It's raining. Uh, if there's a negative, as I say, anything negative is fear. Anything negative is evil. So it's, it's about trying to it's, think of it as like a loving relationship. We've, we've discussed earlier on this evening about how you're not going to have that perfect relationship with someone else where it's 100% love. And you're also not going to have that perfect relationship with yourself either. Um, so, yeah, it, you have to feel it and do it anyway. But I think it's also it can work together by removing as much as you can and then what remains, then do that anyway. Can I add to the, to the feel of fear and do it anyway? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah go ahead. So, um, feel of fear and do it anyway. Say you're scared of dating, but you need to go through that dating process to find a mate. In that context, yeah, you need to feel of fear and do it anyway. But then there's fears that sometimes the fears protecting us from something. Um, so some fears, I think we should be able to distinguish what fears are protecting protecting us from things, and with that we shouldn't do it because of the fear, and that's actually a good thing. And what fears are stopping us from making progress, and in them situations, yes, definitely we should feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think definitely fear is uh, intelligence um, and the ability to live with fear is also being more sensitive to fear and knowing what is valid and rational and what um, should be paid attention to and what is um, just overthinking, anxiety, nervous tension. Um, yeah, so really random example if you're scared of a lion should you go and cuddle that lion should you do you know what i'm saying there's a rational fear there like you put yeah. your life on the line yeah yeah i yeah, think, I think it's in 
this week's it's danger, isn't it? We're, we're talking that there's a difference yeah. between danger. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you could be but like. There's still fear around danger, so it's about identifying is it dangerous or is this a fear that I do need to feel and move through it anyway? Definitely, yeah, definitely. So essentially, fear is a risk to be managed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think there's a, um, a distinction between being fearless, which is basically being stupid, and being brave, which is living with the fear. Um, and on that note, um, um, I did send out something, but I know not everyone gets meetup messages. But there is, um, I've got a case study group together for um, basically dating with um it's going to be focused for one month on messaging so which is basically the profile and uh sending messages um and so i'm creating a training for that but uh, i want to do it live with 10 people um to have real life examples so um uh well if you message me if you're interested in being part of that 10 but i uh, didn't want to um don't want to interrupt with that ad <laughs> but back to the main discussion so now um the question is who who do we I was to, yes, not to wrap up, but just to build on that last point, because we were talking about that fear, fear is about managing risk. But I think the sort of fears that, that you that, that Alan is talking about is where you're using fear as an excuse almost to stop you doing something because you're afraid of what will happen. I think that's certainly the problem where, where I have with fear. So I, I use I, cre I create an excuse, like I can't do that because that'll happen, almost like catastrophization. And that then stops me doing the thing that I should really be doing. I, and I, and I, do, I do definitely get stuff like that, I think. But that means that you have analyzed it and you understand it so you can manage it, which is... Yes. You know what, you, you're differentiating the different types of fear. You yeah. understand what that is. So you can then devise strategies to cope with that fear. Yes. Yeah. Or one that which, type of fear. One of which is just ignoring it and just buckling back <laughs> and doing it. If, if you look at the, you know, look like, at the, I was just going to say, if you look at the future in terms of it doesn't exist because it, it hasn't happened. Mm. And what anxiety does, which is fear, is look, it, it takes a set of events and then it will produce a negative outcome, despite the fact that we haven't experienced that particular thing yet. So even if it's the case that we've had 10 wrong relationships that's gone down the path, if we look at it from an anxiety point of view, you could go, right, we've had 10 relationships. I know because it's gone wrong 10 times, mm. I've got a fear about doing it on the 11th occasion. So my prediction of the future is this one's going to go wrong as well, because 10 did. I've got 
I've got that in my back pocket. I've got the experience of it going wrong. So therefore, I'm not going to try. I'm making number 11 work because my experience and my prediction of the future is negative. That's the but, self-fulfilling prophecy as well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what anyone who's anxious will, ha- will produce a negative future themselves, despite the, the future not even being real. Yeah, Alan, that's the kind of fear I thought you were talking about. I certainly didn't think you were talking about a being eaten up by lions situation. A danger. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's completely different, yeah. What, what about something in the middle? So not quite lions, but say there's a, say there's a drug dealer downstairs who's playing extremely loud music, basically, uh, and you think he might have undesirable people in the house, but you need to go to sleep or whatever, and he's playing really loud music. Do you go down and tell him to shut the FNL up, basically, when it could get bad, I suppose? No, because you're still in a position of danger there, aren't you? You're still still in a position. He might be nurse's pie if you went down, basically. That's the thing. (laughs) Um, Sometimes uh, it's difficult to gauge that risk, isn't it, basically? you know, because we, we were saying that the future hasn't happened yet, hasn't it? So you haven't been down, so you, you never know. The guy, you can make judgments about what that person would be like, but if you actually say to them, provided no, you're, you know, you're, you're actually civil or whatever, they might actually shut Well, you might do, but the, the, point, the point there is not about what you do, it's about the outcome. The outcome in that case is for the music to go off, isn't it? So there's a number of yes. different ways for you to tackle that particular outcome. You could ring the council, you could ring the police, or you could indeed go down and have a word. Out of those three outcomes, each one of them would have an element of risk and each one of them would have an element of danger. The outcome, I don't know what it would be. You know, we're we're in a hypothetical... You say you know the police and the the police and the council might (laughs) do. But in terms of making decisions for ourselves, which is really where... It, I'm kind of coming from making a decision of am I make, am I doing what basically am I doing this what I'm about to do because I'm afraid yes. in one level or another it doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there shaking my boots that's not what I mean it just mm. means is the element of anxiety an element of fear to this choice to this decision and I don't even mean it on a grand scale of shall I get in this relationship or shall I go for this job I mean, on a simple thing of, shall I go out for a coffee? Things like that. Yeah. yeah. Plays its part in all aspects of our, of our lives. But oh, it's yeah. how much we allow it in. Mm. When, I mean, when I, actually, when, I, when I actually was very bad with anxiety, and this is what I was on my relationship, actually, but I had a real problem with imagined and real problems. And I actually had CBT to deal with that because, because my mind would just race and I didn't find all these alternative outcomes, which kind of stopped me doing something or, or it just made me worry about something, which I, you know, that sort of idea of catastrophization, basically. And it, the real ones, you just need to deal with them, I suppose, basically. For me, it was always the imagined ones that caused the problems. I am kind of I am agreeing with you. Mm. 
Well, it, well it, there's, an, there's an adage which says that you, your greatest enemy is yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's not always... What, I suppose what I'm saying is it's not always easy to be rational, I suppose, is the thing. With emotions, I suppose, because, you know, emotions... The best one in the world, emotions aren't a very rational thing, are they? I mean, love, really, is a completely irrational thing, isn't it, really? <laughs> Absolutely. It makes no sense, biologically, really. I think it, it depends on, so I'm going to give it a slightly different slant. So in the example of uh, the drug dealer and uh, whether you go down or not, right? So if he turns the music off, it's mm. helped you, your, yeah. your life is better, but his life is worse. Mm. So uh, there is, is there really a moral justification and is that really stopping you from being happy? So um, I think really what, what Alan's talking about is it's, it's, based on, it's based on either is it a moral or is it a um, sense of something that is key uh, to your happiness. So when it's a situation of they gain, I, I, I gain, you know, one of us gains, one of us loses, that's really about a superficial reward. So you, you've got... If someone is downstairs with loud music, that can really affect your quality of life. I, I suppose yeah, what, it I, can, um, what but I was talking about also, is that, that most people wouldn't go down. So they, they would just live with it and it would make them really unhappy. And, and, and I suppose we've been talking tonight about acceptance, but, haven't we? But, but, but that is, I don't know if anyone, anyone, of, anyone on the call has ever had that, but it's one of the most difficult things to sort out in the world because if the person themselves isn't receptive, the police won't do anything because they'll tell you it's under the jurisdiction of the Environmental Health Act. The council have like a late night team, but you'll never, you'll never get in touch with I suppose this is an idea of, because we were talking about happiness, and this is the thing, and I'm kind of framing that back. But this has, you know, it has all the elements. I'm kind of tying it in, I suppose. It has all these elements. So it has this idea of, you know, should I be afraid of going down? But, it, but if you do nothing because you're afraid, then it, and your life is actually going to be quite unhappy. And they, but basically, it's, I don't actually think it's something that you can accept. Basically, you'd, be, you'd have to be pretty flipping on a, level, on a level with Buddha, basically, to, to accept that that was, was good and that you could be happy for that, basically. Because it's actually affecting your life. And if it's stopping you sleep, then it's massively affecting your physical health. And mental health, basically. Okay. Very difficult situation to deal with if the person's unreceptive. Right. So, so I, I believe that life is challenging you. And so the definite, that definition of happiness is underpinned by the belief that life has to be okay for you to be happy. Mm. is f that you can adapt to what is. Mm. 
so the, the way that you the way that you learn the way that you reach happiness is by acceptance of your situation mm. so on one level um so that noise is a challenge to your peace mm. And there are many situations like that in life, in, particularly when you're working in the company, where things aren't fair, where you someone else gets the credit for the job, where you get overlooked for no reason other than, you know, some petty reason. Mm. And it's understanding that life isn't fair. Life mm. isn't about being easy. Life is about can you, with whatever challenge, <coughs> challenges you face, with whatever unfair persecution, with whatever unfairness, can you maintain your equilibrium? And that comes from you judging your life on your ability to express yourself as purely and authentically as you can. Rob, would you say then listening to what you just said? Oh, sorry, because I missed a lot tonight because I had to get my little ones to bed. But um, so I missed a lot of the early stuff. But would you say then that like happiness isn't like just the things you were talking about earlier, but being adaptable then, not just resilience, it's being adaptable because you're saying um, you've got to accept these accept these challenges so if you can't change them then you're adapting to them but is that changing yourself to fit the situation if that makes does that make sense um, it it does it does yes it's, it's saying, accepting like, don't change what yourself, is but then you know but still be your authentic self but then being flexible enough to adapt to the new challenges the new set of uh, uh factors and rules in a new the new situation Yes. So, for example, uh, Viktor Frankl, um, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, talked about um, in the concentration camp, some people were happy, some people were kind, some people were nasty, some people were miserable. And the difference was the meaning that they made to it. Mm -hmm. So in the like Jesus was crucified, um, was humiliated, was persecuted unfairly. Um, and the reason he transcended that was because it was about doing the right thing. Success for him was doing the right thing. It wasn't about whether he was popular. It wasn't about whether people accepted him. Um, it was doing the right thing. So I think the one of the greatest things is we look at other people and we say they have it easy they've got a better life if i only had this if i only had that if i had that start but if you look at people who've had some of the the easiest lives born with a silver spoon in their mouth given everything given every advantage they often some of them end up as drug addicts because they had no purpose because mm. purpose isn't in the success that you have in the world. Purpose is in the sense of meaning you make of the world, which is your narrative and how you deal with it. So um, happiness can come from any circumstance. 
it it's about the satisfaction of knowing that you're living life well so the external circumstances are a challenge and then you're going to feel how you feel about yourself is based on how you navigate them mm. does that make sense yeah which is a lot easier to say than do none of us live up to well i was i was thinking about pete's example of going downstairs to the drug addict and i thought i wonder if that's because i you know i don't know i don't know but would you for a guy is it different if you're running through it and thinking if only i had the courage to go down there and deal with this would that make me happier but because as a woman, if that was downstairs to me, I'd be too scared to go downstairs. But I might think, oh, well, you know, if I was a guy, I'd go down there and I'd say, just sort it out, turn it off. Conversely, I wouldn't have the courage to do that. You'd probably be safer if you're a woman, I think, really, basically, because, um, you know, that you'd probably be less likely that violence would be done to you, I reckon, basically. Well, <laughs> maybe. Would you like me to tell you the answer to that, Peter? <laughs> from personal experience yeah, you, so this happened yeah, but I was just wondering if you run through the narrative in your mind thinking mm. it, it, you know um, like if I had the courage to go down and do that and just deal with it if I was you know yeah. anxious about it I, I guess that's really yeah I mean I, I suppose if you yeah if you if you got bribe or something I suppose then I mean, I, I, I suppose I, I'm not. I'm not a traditional man. I suppose so. I, I don't. I don't feel any less of a man if I didn't go down. Because no, if you, no. because if you assess that risk, and it depends on who they are, and there are some, <laughs> you know, there are some quite dodgy types in London, basically. So there are some I would challenge, and there are others that I'd think, okay, I'll I'll leave it basically. But mm. I think my I think my point, and and, and I'm quite, I'm being a little bit sneaky here as well because. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk as well tonight about about the, about that it's all about you within and, and that you can control and that and that you shouldn't let external factors get to you. I think my use of that example is that that that's an example I think, and it's 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 the the only one I can think of at this time. But there are others, but they are quite difficult to think of, where external factors can have an effect on your happiness. Earplugs. And there's nothing internally <laughs> you can do. Isn't it? Get your plugs. <laughs> yeah. um, let, let's, let's hear from Alan, because he's, he's got... Well, I didn't... I, I live in, apart, in uh, apartments in Leeds City Centre, uh, so I am throwing my accents, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, um, you do get some loud parties. Ironically, there's some music going on upstairs above me at the moment <laughs> anyway, so what what i did is rather than have a word at them and cause any confrontation directly because there was only me and my mate in my apartment at the time and there was about 10 of them in this other department i went to the electricity cupboard and turned the energy off at the source oh that's nice <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, <laughs> I love I it. I, I wish I could have done that. <laughs> but the best thing was, was like hearing them all like having conversations between themselves about what it could be that has blown their electricity. <laughs> <laughs> and they were actually on the phone to, um, to, N, to N Power 
trying to find out if there'd be a power outage in the local mm-hmm. area, despite every single other apartment having its lights on. Um, I actually did similar to my boys this week. I couldn't get them to get off the computer. <laughs> so um, I went in the cupboard and I did the same. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and they were looking around trying to figure it out. But my uh, my son's quite smart, so he was in there pretty quickly <laughs> turning it back on. <laughs> Only works once. <laughs> <laughs> but I do right. think it's a good um, example, Lopez. Sorry. Ask ask Rob a question. Rob, you mentioned living life well, and that it could make you happy. What do you actually mean by that? Living life well. Um, that if you treat love or happiness as something to find, um, you won't find it because they're outcomes of living well. So by living well, what I mean is you have a DNA, you have a a framework, a view of the world from your experiences and what you've learned. And that blueprint is what you have to live by. That's who you are. And if you try to live in any other way, you're not going to be happy. And so what people do is they look at happiness, they look at love and they think I have to do this to be that person. So people um, go to, you know, like there's all these um, dating tricks and things and and like you, you, you do this and you behave like this. Um, And what happens or there's all this relationship advice of you should do this, you should compromise, you should do this. And so people lose themselves by being taking on behaviors that isn't them. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not a box ticking exercise. No. Yeah. It, it's, it's individual and happiness and love are based on who you are, how you view them and what you need. And that's different for each of us. And that's why I think the great insight of the five love languages was it showed that people were different and receive and given receive love differently. But I think it, it fell short in there's so many more ways. So ultimately, ultimately it's about looking after ourselves. Well, isn't it emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, and when we, we take care of our well-beings and things and, you know, ch- children, for example, when they need certain, have certain needs that need to be met just as we do as adults. You know, we have a need for, uh, for fulfilling responsibilities and a need for downtime and rest and a need for fun and um all our aspects of health being taken care of and when we meet all them needs for ourselves and when we take care of ourselves well are you saying that that's when the other things fall into place yes like, like children who misbehave it's because they're, they're not getting a need met whether it's a need for um i need to look good or i need to whatever um you cure the behavior by um, dealing with a need um, and it's the same with adults. If we if we have everything we need, um, we're happy and we're good people. I, I mean, there's a small minority that 
like psychopaths, sociopaths, who are different. Um, but other than that, if if people have everything they need, um, they're going to want only good for other people. Not what it says in the Matrix. Basically, it says in the Matrix Revelations that that if you that people will just create another thing that that they want, I suppose. Basically, I suppose you're talking about the perfect idea, aren't you? But like actual human nature, if it is content, it just creates another reason why it isn't happy. Basically. Yeah, but there's a there's a diff- there's a distinction. Like Alan was talking about, you know, people on Tinder are very um, need instant gratification. Those people, if they if they had every if they had their gratification, they're going to want more of that. But at the deeper level, um, mm. if you like everything you really need, not every whim that you want, uh, okay. because part of happiness is overcoming the whims. The, yes. the whims. The, so it, it's basically the, the seven deadly sins. Um, like I'm not religious, but yet the, there is a basis to religion: the seven deadly sins, the temptations. And um, it, life is fear is about those. Mm. Like if you overcome those, you transcend the world, um, and which means that you've transcended your needs um, for anything worldly, mm. which is quite deep for, <laughs> for uh, I don't know, a relationship. That's, cool. that's like self-regulation, really, isn't it? That's what you're talking about, is regulate, being yeah. able to, um, yeah, regulate your emotions and your impulses and your your behaviours in the face of any, um, yeah, temptation or obstacle or addiction or uh, whatever, whatever it may be. Exactly. If you look at a relationship, it's about can I... Um, can I care about another as I care about myself? Can I um, overcome, like, arguments are about pride. Uh, you know, a lot of arguments are about pride, like, oh, um, you make me look stupid or something like that. Um, it's about um, temptation. We live in a world with other people. We're, you know, we're, we're always going to be attracted to someone else, but can we resist that temptation? Um, when we're angry, can we um like can we deal with the anger without burning the other person um so yeah it is just it is regulating ourselves on the childish emotions that we feel i think the difficulty with that is when I think is when you know you get two people where one person can and one person doesn't. That's that's been my experience in relationships where one one plays by those rules and the other person, um, yeah, doesn't. And I think that's where you know you're talking about vulnerabilities. I think that's where if you've been in that kind of situation, that's where it's difficult then to allow yourself to be vulnerable again because you. you you think, oh, well, okay, I've done, I've been that way, and then this played out because the two people having the different uh, playing by a different uh, set of rules. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's which is which is where um, you know I, 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 when Sasha was talking about unconditional love, 
it's there has to be um, a point where if they don't live up to it then then yeah that, that's that's going to break and so you have to be enough of knowing that you love yourself as much as you would love someone else and making sure that you're okay and and you judge your partner by their ability to do the same mm. so what you were talking about earlier though because i think this is something that kind of happened to me but but you know we were talking about the idea of of, of an airplane you know you put your own mask on first your own oxygen so, so what do you do if you're in a relationship and you're and you need to attend to your stuff basically you know, like you, you, you clearly have gone into a place where you need to do some work on yourself because of external factors. What would you advise? Well, because it's almost like you kind of need space in the relationship, but it's kind of difficult to do that because you're in a relationship, I suppose. And that's kind of what well, happens. If, if you if you make that a priority, my happiness, yeah. I, I have to make sure. Like I have enough sleep, I have to make sure I'm, I'm fit and well because so physically mm. I'm, I'm well. I have to make sure emotionally exactly the same. And mm. so you pick it up, the more aware of it you are, the quicker you pick it up and the less of a big deal it is. Other than that, it's mm. okay, this is what I need. And the other person, if you're in that kind of relationship, which I think is what we want from Happy Ever After, then the mm. other person understands and supports it, but you have to communicate it clearly that they understand. But part of that also is an understanding of the risk of um, doing something like, um, as Pete was saying, do you take time out from the relationship? It may mean that at the end of your discovery, your process, you mm. may not feel that you need to go back into that relationship. So the risk that you run is yeah. that the relationship may, may end. Yeah. I, I think ideally you would both recognize like that, that you only want the relationship where they both, where both are gaining, both are stronger because of it. Yeah. And then uh, breakups would be so much easier if both sides had that confidence mm. I, I i do believe that in a century or so um relationships will be like that because i think where where the only place we can evolve now um is emotionally i think you know everything you talked about alan about the you know no one having that ability to de delay gratification what this is creating is a world full of depression a world full of anxiety a world full of re where relationships don't work and when things break down then there's a lot of focus on it there's a lot of attention on it and so i think um there are you know which is kind of why i'm focused on relationships because i think there's going to be a huge amount of relationship awareness and knowledge in the next few decades um and we're just you know we all think that as a species we're so sophisticated um but 
we're still animals. We haven't evolved much past that. Mm. I mean, the, the evolution will definitely be mental. I mean, the physical evolution will probably be more wasting away, basically. As we, all, as we all just sit in chairs with virtual reality headsets on and like, you know, everything just gets directly downloaded to our brain, basically. Our muscles will probably atrophy. Yes. But yeah. even the way that young people process information, I mean, I mean, you know, like, like talking to the, to, to those of us who, who can remember life before computers, you know, like, I mean, you remember when, when you wanted to know something, you had to go and ask your dad or, you know, like bloody go and look it up in an encyclopedia. So you actually had to remember things if you wanted to recall that information. You know, I mean, you know, we used to, sp I used to spend hours arguing with my friends about points, which Google has basically rendered that completely pointless because someone could just look it up on Google in about two seconds. So, so the youngsters, you know, the actual going to know where you can get that information has actually become a skill now that's a lot more desirable than being able to retain the information, which is kind of what it was in our day. You will now have a chip in your head. Say again? You will now get a chip in your head. Well, well yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is on the way. It um, is on the way. And yeah, intel definitely. intelligence is, is not going to be an advantage no. for that much longer. And that's where... But the one thing that robots and that can't do or is going to be later for them to do is emotions, Emotion. emotional, emotions, awareness, yeah. emotional intelligence. Yeah. Although my Alexa does tell me, hope you're having a nice weekend these days. It started doing that in about the last three weeks. <laughs> I've done it <laughs> at the beginning of emotional intelligence. <laughs> Robots are learning emotions. They're learning how to, like artificial intelligence is developing. Mm. Um, and it may outstrip us. That but is a there's a certain human... I mean, my, my, dad, my dad always said that that was... He, he always got really annoyed in Star Wars, like where, where they, they make the droids have emotions. Because he always thought that a, a robot would never, ever be able to have emotions, basically. But... But take the example of those Japanese men who have already retreated from physical relationships with people and mm. are having relationships with their their whatever virtually and their, well, the physical dolls too, but in their phones, their relationship is with something, be it a doll or a image of a person on a mm. phone. And that's who they speak to and they buy things for and they dress. I even saw one occasion where a man, he has this doll and he buys her outfits and he dresses her up and he takes her for romantic weekends to hotels. Oh yeah. Because you see, those females don't talk back. They don't create emotional, emotional turmoil. They, they receive the love passively and they cause no grief. <laughs> And see that that is exactly you know like we were talking about the drug dealer and and that if you need life to be perfect that's what happens is is that's where it ends up mm. because everyone else is going to disappoint you yes 
and which is that country which is, is kind of in decline because there's no procreation. <laughs> but, but that's a natural response in a population dynamic with it with a possibly that's that's a biological response to, to human beings causing too much problems basically and being too proliferated and on the earth that's possibly a lot of this could actually be biological yeah but i think it also speaks to an a, a weakness in to, um to deal with emotional turmoil and emotional pressures and emotional yeah. it's all about that mental aspect of 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 their um their 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 upbringing and that is the result of you just forsake all of that yeah but it's also money isn't it you, you can buy things it's no worse than someone like donald trump or whatever who just who sort of you know i mean i, I don't know if melania sort of married him for his looks or his personality basically but, but it's, you know, it's, no, it's no different to that i suppose is it really you know it's, it's, um, I, it's his kindness <laughs> I thought that was that book that you, you know, the book that you said earlier that you couldn't remember the third thing. What was it? Selfish, stupid. I was thinking I'm president of the United States of America. Um, <laughs> I look at uh, selfish, scared and stupid. All oh, right. Okay. There we go. Uh, but you're missing something else out of Donald Trump and that's power. Yeah, oh, power, God, yeah. power is attractive, isn't it? Yes. As John, John Prescott knows. Sorry? As John Prescott knows, I said, basically. No, no, no. Classic, classic, classic example. Aristotle, Onassis and Jackie Kennedy. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, and just out of curiosity, where, are you in the UK? Because the light behind looks really natural, like it's daylight. Me? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Oh, because it looks like it's daylight. No, it's, um, can't even remember. It's one of those thingamabobs, bulbs, those low, what what you call them? Low energy something or the other. Like a natural light type thing? Mm. Yes, actually, you're right. Yeah, looking at everybody, yes, yes. Man looks quite, yeah, different. Yeah. Right, I'm going to go anyway, guys. Thank you very much for your contributions and your information. And thank you, Rob, for hosting this evening. Yeah, thanks, so. Thank you, Alan. Any last words of wisdom? Uh, I'm actually going to have a word with my neighbours because they're really noisy. So <laughs> if, if not back yeah. next week, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right, take care, everyone. Yeah, I can't do the same thing And we hope to see you in one piece next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, right, so I think we need to wrap up and um, we need words of wisdom from someone. So I think Never give up. Uh, based on Never give up. Never give up. Pete, any last? Oh, I can't stop never give up. Can I? I never give up. Alicia? Uh, words of wisdom. I would say, just have patience. Janice? 
Um, I think I missed too much <laughs> tonight to, to say anything. Could just see, I put, I, you know, it's probably all been said. I just uh, missed it. But maybe personally, I think the message is just really trust yourself to be just to be yourself rather than trying to um, fit into what you think people want. Just be yourself. Perfectly and authentically delivered. <laughs> Christina? Oh. Everybody, sorry, I was coming off mute. Um, every, everybody probably knows this um, already, but everybody is responsible for their own happiness. Mm. Christina? Mm. Um, very much what everybody said. I would just say trust in yourself. Um, try and set goals I'm a, I'm a very uh, I do believe in goals and that's the way I achieve things in life so trust in yourself and just keep striving for the stars you know you know but definitely trusting yourself because at times um, you do get those moments where you feel like you can't do certain things so you just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel so um, I just think trusting yourself is important and don't doubt yourself and don't listen to your um, cynical voice that you have in your mind, which often we do have that. So that's very important to me. <laughs> Thank you. I think it is, is um, we feel if, we, if like, if we're going to give advice, we're going to only tell people what, what everyone else says, but that's really what we all need to hear. Um, there's no difficult solution. It's just, the simple solution that we don't you know that it's accepting it that's more important i'm not sure if you can hear us sasha if you're able to talk yeah i'm still here we're going to close with last words of wisdom from you Words of wisdom, look after yourself how you'd want your child to be looked after and everything else will fall into place. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, so we, we're in next week for... for um, I forgot what we're we, we have a... There's a meeting... Um, Ah, treat them mean, keep them keen. True or false? Okay, Definitely have a good weekend, false. Everyone. <laughs> Take <laughs> we, care. We had a... Okay. <laughs> have a nice evening. Have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Take care, Bye. folks.